It is Free Talk Live, and we are extra live right now in person at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas at the Paris Hotel. Um, do you happen to know, Mark, which year of Freedom Fest that we're at? I don't. Uh, this thing's been going on for a while. A long time. we got a uh, special guest here with us. Uh, Boomer Shannon, is it? Yeah. Boomer, welcome. We were literally just setting up the booth here. It's actually in the uh, the morning, uh, West Coast time, as we are setting up. Yeah, what uh, passes for morning out here in the Pacific? This thing up. So it's like, it's almost 10 a.m. They haven't even actually started the event yet. This is kind of like the setup time. But you walked in, you, uh, you, you recognized Free Talk Live. Uh, probably one of the few people who will, who will recognize us here this uh, this weekend, but uh, you you said you've had a real success story. You're from Los Angeles, or at least that's where you live. Right. And uh, so the story starts on a, on a low note. Uh, well, yeah, I, I can't help that. <laughs> so you're from Los Angeles, but you're a libertarian activist. Yeah, no, I've been a libertarian since before I could even vote. So. Uh, I got excited by by Ron Paul in uh, 2006. I saw him. Sp- I saw a video of him speaking at Columbia University, and uh, there's been no going back for me since then. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. And so you got active with the Libertarian Party specifically? Yeah, I got in- mm-hmm. I got active with them in about 2005. Okay. And were you living in uh, L.A. at that time? The L.A. area. I was in San Bernardino mm-hmm. County, which is next door. So you got involved in local elections at some point, and uh, you got somebody elected. Yeah, so, well, my background is that I worked a lot of, uh, I, I started on the No on 8 campaign, which was the, the pro-gay marriage issue in California in 2008. Okay. Uh, then I worked on a, a campaign called TRC 2010, which was the tax regulated cannabis issue, uh, which we lost by less than a margin of error. I ran probably about a dozen to a dozen and a half local ordinances uh, trying to remove moratoriums on marijuana in different cities around Southern California. Um, I ran a gentleman named Steve Collette for a couple of congressional races, but uh, by far my biggest achievement so far has been electing Supervisor Jeff Hewitt to the Riverside County Board of Supervisors. So, uh, Riverside, I know I've heard the name, but is it near L.A.? Yeah, Riverside is a bedroom community for L.A. and Orange County. Okay. Um, it's a, at a population of about 2.5 million people. It's a big bedroom. That's a very big bedroom. Um, the uh, The operating capital for that for that particular county is about $6.6 billion a year. Okay. Um, a lot of that's just state and federal pass-through. Um, sure. But uh, it's, it's a very, very influential position. Now, is, is this position a position in which, um, you know, the party name is on the ballot, or is it like... You know, one of those typical kind of county positions where you don't see the party name. Well, that's kind of the cool thing about this race is that it is a nonpartisan position. Right. So uh, by California election law, when it's nonpartisan, you can't advertise party. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really nice is that, you know, when the media reaches out to us or other people are talking to us about the race, and we had a lot of really cool media attention. We were on the front page of the L.A. Times and a bunch of other really neat things that happened. But every single one of them go out and call us libertarian. So okay, I, don't have to, I don't have to spend any money printing the word libertarian on, on, our, on our flyers because yeah. everybody else is doing it for us. Wow. So what did you what would you say is the key? I mean because libertarians are not used to winning anything anywhere. Uh, so what made this different? Well, this race was unique. We ran against the former minority whip in, in California. He was Republican, uh, very very powerful and influential in California politics. Is San Bernardino a uh, Republican stronghold? Uh, he, that, and Riverside, yes. Riverside okay. is where we won the election, but San Bernardino is, is one of the, ver- the last Republican holdouts. Okay. Um, but uh, he was a very influential guy out there, um, and uh, he, was, he was a termed-out assemblyman. 
um, was looking to kind of further his political career, and uh, we put a, we put a dead stop to. He that. He didn't want to go get a real job. Well, no, I mean obviously <laughs> that's that's uh, you can't do that if you're a politician because you don't know how to work hard. Um, but uh, and that was that was kind of the key to our race is that we worked really really hard. We knocked sixty thousand doors between the primary and the general election. Wow. Um, we raised about five uh, five hundred fifty thousand dollars to our opponents one point one, but if you include soft donations, he was probably close to one point five. So we were about a third of the donations in total. Um, but uh, we knocking just- doors makes a huge difference. I mean, we're from New Hampshire, yeah. and that's the way. Whenever you talk to somebody who wins an election in New Hampshire. They almost always went door to door. Yeah, but that's the person that knocked. Um, yeah, the individual. Know, this this uh, politician Hewitt, uh, he did not knock sixty thousand doors. He didn't, you, he didn't say that. Did he knock no. on doors? No, he he knocked on a couple of doors. But um, we had a canvassing team. How's that, that we work? Trained. I mean, what, what's it like? Uh, you know, like I guess that's the question I have is, is that if somebody comes to my door and says, "I want you to vote for." Somebody who's not me, um, I, I guess I'm confused by that. Being a New Hampshire granite stater, I just kind of I'm kind of like I expect the politician to walk up when the sheriff <laughs> um, wanted me to vote for him. I had already voted absentee ballot, and I, but uh, you know the sheriff of Cheshire County comes walking up my driveway, 440 feet out in rural New Hampshire. He didn't even he didn't even drive his car up. He just walked up, and I said, "My God, it's the law." He's probably the only person in town that would recognize him, um, and and there he was asking for my vote. Um, so, you know, door knocking to me seems like something you should be done by the, the individual. How does it work when it's not the individual? You couldn't do that. There's no, there's no scale that would have allowed that. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, no, we were able to capture lightning in a bottle, actually. We, we were able to reach out and recruit libertarians from all over the country. We had people from Maine, from Florida, and Georgia coming out to California to work for our campaign. We hired wow. about 10 or 12 at a time for both the primary and the general election. Um, so to have them have – they understood the ideology, right? And they understood – they had that in common with, the, with Supervisor Hewitt immediately, um, which was a big step up for us. But, you know, I've been running campaign teams for a long time. I've got a, I've got a very interesting uh, training and, and continual learning program that I make sure that I run with these guys that's uh, very close to – what you call agile development and software. Um, so, you know, every morning they come back after a day's work and we talk about, you know, what they did and what they learned. Okay. So I've got 12 guys, 12 guys and gals sitting around the table going, hey, you know, yesterday I, I knocked 250 doors. I got, you know, 75 that opened. And of those 75, I got 10 yard signs. Well, that's fantastic. Well, what'd you learn? Well, you know, I had this one lady. She had a dog who wouldn't keep barking. It was real hard for me to get through. And what happens is that as you move forward, you're able to train everybody else much more quickly because they're hearing 12 stories of success or failure yep. every single day for the course of an eight-week campaign that they're there. So you're able to move forward very quickly. So um, this position that this uh, that uh, Hewitt got is this a voting position or is this a just a supervisory position where he sort of top down tells people what to do? Oh, it's a voting position. It's okay. it's and, and the the county seat is kind of interesting because it's where the rubber meets the road for law. Yeah, it's one. It's by far one of the most influential positions in politics in California because all the state and federal money gets passed through to the counties. The counties are the ones that actually implement those programs. So setting those policies allows us to be very fiscally responsible. Setting those policies allows us to make sure that we're representing the constituents in a, in a, in a more free way um how many people are voting at a given time so he's one vote among five five and so he'll probably be the swing on several of these things what's the uh political makeup of the rest of the board well it's important to keep in mind it is a nonpartisan position but we have uh we have uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> have been lied to before yeah yeah Boomer. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well know, okay I so we it. have we have a, a former republican assemblyman and a former democratic assemblyman on the board um but it's actually right down the middle we have two democrats two republicans and then jeff hewitt is a libertarian well, that'll be a very, a very positive. And when did this election tra- uh, take place? In November. 
Okay. So we, we, we've, we've, uh, we've been in the seat for about seven months now. Um, mm-hmm. after, after we ran the campaign, Supervisor Hewitt asked me to stay on and be his chief of staff. Oh, wow. So we manage a staff of 11 people with a budget of about $1.3 million a year. Jeez. What, um, so is, has there been a success that you can really point to at this point, or you're still waiting for that big vote? Well, we've had a couple of really interesting successes. Supervisor Hewitt was able to, to move forward and be able to settle a pension, a pension issue for the Riverside County Transportation Committee, um, uh, or commission, I'm sorry, um, which they were able to save $7.5 million just by paying their pension liabilities down immediately. And we intend to do that for the entire county. The unpaid liability for Riverside County right now is about $3 billion. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, we, we got 23,000 employees, and most of them are on CalPERS, which is a terribly mismanaged uh, uh, pension program right. run by the state, started in 1999 by Governor mm-hmm. Davis. Um, so we are we are chipping away at smaller pieces like that, but we have our eyes set on the pension issue as our number one issue. Um, we've also Can been- you describe it to me? I'm sorry? The pension issue. Can you describe it to me a little more? Oh, sure, I mean, yeah. All I so, hear about pensions is, is that these these pe- poor people that work their whole lives for uh, the government, which- you They're know, not poor. They were paid very well. Fine. Well, they didn't manage their money because they were expecting a pension to come later. Mm. Well, so well, there's there's obviously the, the, the consumer issue of this, right, which is the person that's on the pension has to be able to get that money back. And the state has made a promise to those people, and they intend to keep it. Um, but, the, but the nature in which this happened is actually quite terrible. And if you don't mind, I'd like to tell the story. Sure, in 1999, Governor Gray Davis and a bunch of other people got together and decided they were going to make a pension program for California's public employees. Um, and they sat around a table and they, and they said, okay, well, you know, we're expecting to get an 8% return on all this money that we invest. This is at 99. This is the peak of the dot-com yeah. boom, right? The, the economy was 8% doing, sweet money, yeah, no problem. Oh, kicking ass, right? And the actuarials, you know, sit around the table and go, if we do 8%, you know, we'll have to have minimal contributions by the employees and by, the, and by their employers. Yeah. Um, and it should be a really good model. So the actuarials are sitting around the table and, they, and you know, and uh, uh, one of the, one of the uh, electeds asked the actuarial goes, what happens if we get 14%? And they all had a great chuckle. They say, oh my gosh, if we got 14% returns like we, you know, like we, we just might, we'd never have to pay a dime into our pension problem. We'd never have to worry about money again. It would be, it would be self-funding. We'd have a surplus at the end of the year. And they all laughed and had a great time. <laughs> now, the next elected came to the table and he says, what if we got 4%? And the actuarial looks at him and he goes... By God, that would be catastrophic. Hold that thought. I'm sure there's more to the story. We're going to continue here uh, with Boomer Shannon from California as a libertarian activist getting people elected out here. Uh, This, or at least one person. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. We are at Freedom Fest 2019 at the Paris Hotel. Uh, bright and early, actually, on Wednesday. We do record our shows and we're on uh, remote because it's just so much easier. We uh, Boomer Shannon walked in here from uh, from L.A. He's a successful campaign manager and uh, actually got somebody elected. We're going to continue his story here in just a moment. But it was nice to just be able to say, well, let's interview you now because we don't have to wait until 4 o'clock Pacific time and say, yeah, can you come back, Boomer? we got a show at 4.30. Uh, you know, we got a slot open for you, and it just gets very, very hard to deal with that. So it's, uh, it's a better show when we do it this way, and uh, we're going to continue with his story about the, Cal- the mess of the California pension system, uh, and we'll continue that. But first, While we wait for that story, I'm going to tell you this story. Jessica Armand was a, a mom who had some dental problems with her kids. Rather than sort of sitting around and waiting for a dentist to solve these problems and that sort of thing, she went ahead and she made her own tooth treatment. And it's now called My Magic Mud. It's a black tooth powder made of charcoalized coconut shells and bentonite clay. And that sounds like some strange ingredients. 
until you read your toothpaste's ingredients, and then you realize, well, it's nice to be able to pronounce this stuff. It's clinically proven to whiten teeth, and I use it uh, regularly, and what I think, I think it cleans better than toothpaste, too. You're going to have to try it out for yourself just to see whether, the, whether what I have to say is true or not. But I haven't not had a container of My Magic Mud in my possession for more than half a decade, because I believe so thoroughly... When I say possession, I mean sort of my greater possessions. It's at home right now. But um, anyway, it's clinically proven to whiten teeth. You can get it at most major health food stores, Sprouts, CVS, Natural Grocers, Walmart's Natural Beauty Isle, Amazon, wherever you want to get it. But if you go to MyMagicMud.com and you use coupon code FTL20, you can get 20% off of this great product. It's not like it's terribly expensive, but 20% off is 20% off. MyMagicMud.com, coupon code FTL20. And we've been talking about it for years. See what we've been talking about. MyMagicMud.com, coupon code FTL20. Boomer Shannon uh, with us here. You were telling us in 1999, the uh, government goons in California sat around and decided they wanted to create a pension system. Uh, they had not had one prior to that, or did this replace an older uh, pension? system uh, they, they had had you know uh, hybrid systems between between defined contribution and defined benefit but this one is completely defined benefit okay so uh, and they were looking at the numbers and they thought oh wow we can get eight uh, percent return on this and you were about to tell the rest well of yeah so so you know the, the actual sitting around the table they say what if we get eight percent they go oh we'll be funded we'll have very very minimal contributions from both employers and employees it'll be great everybody had a good time somebody asked if they the actuary if they could get 14 percent they had a massive chuckle saying oh my gosh we'd never have to pay any money we'd have a surplus at the end of the year we'd be famous for running you know sustainable uh, pension programs we'd be we'd, we'd be doing so well everything would be awesome that's right and then so and then another politician asks you know what happens if you get four percent and and they say oh my gosh you know that would be it would be catastrophic you know or, or it, it, it would fail there would be no way to happen some years um, you get four percent return on your investments that just happens well, that's, that is the way that happens, but a, a lot of it, and I'll have to explain a little bit more about this in a minute, they've only averaged about 3.7% over, over the last you know, 20-some years. Mm. Oh, God. Um, so they are, they are drastically underfunded. It's catastrophic. Um, and, and what's happening, yeah, it is. It is. It's absolutely catastrophic. So what's happening now is that they're having to go to the counties and ask for more and more money for contributions every single year because they're mismanaged. And, and I say that they're mismanaged because they don't invest in things like oil, they don't invest in guns, anything that's politically um, you know, uncouth, as it were. Mm-hmm. They, they, they run away from like the plague, but those are the only things that have been sustainable making money over the last couple of years in the markets. Guns are always a good investment. Oil is a great investment. You know, these are, these are things that you do as an investment manager. But when you make political decisions as an investment manager, you have drastically mismanaged the, the money. Right? You have a duty, a responsibility to make sure you're getting the most return as humanly possible. Making political decisions is terrible. So what we have happening now is that they're having to go back to all the counties asking for more and more money, mm. which is taking money away from services like police and fire or any or uh, you know uh, uh, you know any of the, the DPSS issues like you know um, uh, child services or or healthcare and those kinds of things that the counties do administer on behalf of the state and federal governments. Okay. Wow. So it's an absolute nightmare of a uh, pension system, and they're coming to you guys demanding money at the county levels. That's right. So one of the interesting things about this is that Supervisor Hewitt, when he was mayor of Calamesa, a very small town, about 8,500 people, they had a single fire department. The fire union shows up and says, hey, we want more money. We're not getting. We're not getting what we think is our fair share. Mm. Right? We oh, want, they want we, more paychecks. They want more paychecks. So they, they also wanted to have more people on every fire engine. Right? They had they had a, a response of two two people per engine, and they wanted to have three people per engine. And the little town of Calamesa, with a budget of about five million dollars, couldn't sustain being able to pay that much. It would have taken up about half their 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 discretionary budget every year to pay for this fire department. Okay. 
So what Supervisor Hewitt, or at the time Mayor Hewitt, was able to do was go to his to go to his other council members and say, "Hey, look, let's get these guys off the pension system and go to a four hundred one k system." The pension decided the union decided they didn't like that. Mm. So what Surprise. happened is that they started their the, the city started their own fire department and put them on defined contributions. So four hundred one k's for everybody. Yeah, they're 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 the only they're the only uh, city in the state that has that has this kind of setup. They own their they they, they kicked big wow. fire out. They have their own small fire department now. Instead of having two people on engine, they have four. And in the very first year, they saved $750,000 on a $5 million budget. How did they get rid of the union fire department? Is the new fire department non-union? I didn't. I the new fire department that. is non-union. That's correct. How, these unions have contracts that are so ironclad. How do they? How do they boot them out the door? Because the, this is this this just describes the arrogance of these large unions, right? In mm-hmm. that contract, there was there was there was no place for them to be able to sustain it. There was there was a, there was a clause, there was a clause in the in the uh, contract that allowed them to get out. Really? Right. Normally, normally what happens is you have to pay what they call a tap fee, right? Which which you know supervisor here likes to call the Roach Motel fee. Yeah. You, you check in, but you don't check out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What the tap fee is is that they sell you a they sell you a pension program at eight percent a year, right? And you know, okay, well, we're going to take that. But if you want to buy out of it, you have to pay as if it were making two percent a year, mm. right? Which is which is just an absolute a Ponzi scheme, right? Mm, you know, right. there are people in jail. You know, uh, I can't remember, Madoff. Madoff's <laughs> in jail for a scheme very similar to this, right? Okay. But the but the unions and the pensions get away doing this and holding holding electeds and, and constituents against this this same situation over and over and over again with no oversight. Wow. That's an amazing story, going from two men per truck union to four men per truck non-union and giving better service. Saving $750,000 a year <laughs> on a $5 million budget. I'm surprised that the uh, the union firefighters, the AAIF or whatever the hell they are, um, doesn't come out and... Like picket you guys or beat start, up your fire. Oh fires. no! Oh no! They they definitely during the campaign they came out. They had a billboard in the, in Jeff Hewitt's small town, right where he was the mayor. It says, "When you nickel and dime the fire service, you put people's lives at risk." Mm, yeah. Big billboard over <laughs> over there. They do. Thing, you know, signed by signed by the local fire union there. Um, you know, and uh, you don't pay you don't pay the firefighter union what they want. You're gonna die is basically yeah. what they their shtick is. And wow. you know, the, one of the challenges of the campaign is that everywhere Jeff Hewitt went when he would go to meet with other electeds or influencers in the area, they say Jeff. You're committing political suicide. And Jeff, you know, he's a real smart guy. He says, you know what? If I had a nickel for every time somebody told me it was political suicide, I would never have to ask for money. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a libertarian. That's right. All right, cool. Well, uh, Boomer, uh, what you know? Do you have a website that you want to promote? Or uh, yeah, you guys like can check us out at supervisorhewitt.com. That's the that's the, the okay. website for what's going on there. How many um, years is he in the office for? That's a four year term. Four years, and uh, we, we are we are likely to be reelected. Any okay. advice to people who are running uh, libertarian campaigns? Or the, the, the you know the bright faces out there that believe they're going to get elected, um, that, that believe they're going to win that political lottery. Yeah, it's 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 just hard work, right? There there are, there are a lot of gimmicks that you can do. There are a lot of things that you you could try to to to, to expedite your process. But go out, get a, get involved at the local level. Go pl- go volunteer for the planning commission. Learn the language of government. I know for libertarians, it's very very difficult to kind of even stomach that. But there is a language, there is a culture that exists there. And if you come as an outsider, you'll be resisted. Start by volunteering at the planning department. Get on the city council. Find yourself as mayor and move up step by step. Because if you know. God forbid, if I were thrown into a situation like being the supervisor with no experience, I would be run over every single day. we got more coming up here. Boomer, thanks for joining us here on Free Talk Live. Thanks, guys. From Freedom Fest. Bitcoin.com has launched a trading platform at local.bitcoin.com, allowing you to buy or sell Bitcoin cash via dozens of payment methods like PayPal, Venmo, bank deposit, remittances, or meeting in person with cash. There are no ID requirements to sign up for and use the site, and all communications between buyers and sellers are encrypted. Finally, a global trading platform that respects your privacy. 
Visit local.bitcoin.com to get started trading Bitcoin Cash. Local.bitcoin.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest 2019 at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. And uh, it is morning number one of day number one here as we uh, record our shows to bring them to you as uh, you listen to them when they air. And, of course, you're always welcome to go to freetalklive.com. Listen later on. You can grab our podcast there. You can listen to our live streams. They're there for you 24-7. And I do want to say thanks to uh, Curry Taylor, who is a Free Talk Live Silver amplifier. Curry uh, supports the show for as uh, little as $5 per month. That gets you the silver ranking and some cool perks. You know, you get some benefits for being a Free Talk Live amplifier. But most importantly, you're helping us spread the ideas of liberty on over 200 radio stations from coast to coast uh, in the United States even as far west as California. And uh, so go to amp.freetalklive.com. Actually, we're all the way out to Guam. Yeah, far, and, as uh, far west as Guam. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> Is that yeah. west? That might be east. Yeah, it depends on which way Yeah, which way you're going. Uh, but uh, we're actually in uh, in Vegas right now. But there's plenty of people out here from the, the western side of the United States. We were just talking with, uh, with a gentleman, Boomer, who uh, was managing a campaign. And successfully uh, in the uh, the Riverside area, if I yeah, recall correctly. Yeah, that's news. <laughs> success is news. Yeah, success, a successful libertarian campaign is news, number one. <laughs> to do it in California is also pretty big. It's a pretty big deal. Pretty impressive. And we now actually have that uh, elected uh, libertarian. Jeff Hewitt is with us. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? Great. Thank you for uh, for coming on here with us. You are the, was it county county supervisor? What's the term? Yes, yeah. okay. So, uh, you know, there's thousands of counties all over the United States. Yep. Most states call their county uh, body county commissioners. Commissioners, yeah. And, but in California, we have 58 counties, and every one of them are called county supervisors, and everyone, with the exception of San, uh, San Francisco, has five county supervisors. Okay. So the largest county in the U.S., L.A. County, has five county supervisors. Gotcha. Each county supervisor has two million in their district. Hmm. The smallest county in California, Alpine County, has 1,200. So you divide that by five, figure out how many people are voting, and me, with six kids and seven grandkids, could probably stay in office forever there, because hmm. you've got enough voters in your family if you can right. keep them happy. Right. So, so, but, but they all have, they all have to meet on, you know, Tuesday mornings when they meet, there's certain things set in, in law for the counties, Mm -hmm. but we do most of the work for the state and we are the same as a city council for unincorporated areas. So what a county supervisor does probably has more effect on people's lives than any other position in government. So, um, as getting elected as a libertarian, I guess you're nonpartisan, but you're a libertarian. It's when these they call these nonpartisan elections, but we all know what really goes on within the political process. The Republicans and Democrats aren't leaving nonpartisan elections just to the average person. So, libertarians have to compete. So, so a typical uh, war chest for running for uh, county supervisor of Riverside County. Is anywhere from five hundred thousand to one and a half million dollars. So it's much like a lot of congressional seats in in the amount. Since there, are, I have half I have half a million people just in my district. Mm-hmm. So my county being the tenth largest in the United States, of two and a half million. You know we're larger than sixteen states, and there are five people that dictate everything. There are twenty three thousand employees. It's a powerful position. Have you been able to do anything that once you get there? I mean now you're now you're on the board and. Now you have to vote, so... 
You're looking it's, for a success story. Right. Well, I guess, you know, I mean, it's well, what, what they say with these nonpartisan positions is you don't need a party to decide who fills the pothole. And uh, but in fact, you do need a party to decide who fills the pothole, because do we want this union to uh, fill the pothole or, you know, do we want what? It, so it okay. gets complicated. OK, so I, I'd like to c- compare this to uh, I, I used to say kid in a candy shop, but that's not really it's more like Alice in Wonderland. Mm. You know, an elected libertarian, when you come in there, you go, wow. But first of all, I didn't just get elected in November to this. I was on a city council for eight years. And for six years before that, I was on a planning commission. So you have to learn the acronyms. You have to learn how government works if you're going to change it. Yeah. Because we all think, hey, I've got my libertarian values. I'm going to get elected. I'm going to change the world. No, you're one of five votes. So you come in there. You have your principles. Those are great. That's what drives me. But my ability to govern is directly proportional to my ability to persuade my colleagues. Mm-hmm. You see, because one, four votes are never going to get you anywhere. But the minute I get a real trusted ally on that board, whether it be a Democrat or a Republican, and we do have two Democrats and two Republicans, which puts you which in is a nice perfect. position. Oh, no, no. But, you know, if I get two more noses on anything, I can change the world. I can change the world. So, see, these are the kinds of offices the libertarians that are serious about changing policy and changing the lives of the people around them in a positive way, the power that I have, and when I say power, I don't mean bad power. I mean power to change, power. influence. Yeah. Influence still amazes me. Hmm. You see, because so there's so many things. There are, of course, our big thing was pension reform because that's the biggest crisis we've got going, not only in California, but Kentucky's the worst, believe it or not. And Illinois, Connecticut, all these places are, are, are horrible, and it's going to take away everything. We're paying higher and higher taxes and getting less and less and less. So libertarians, we can come out and say, hey, no more government, or we can say, we want a small government that protects our rights instead of taking them away. And those things that the majority of people want government to do, then we have to hold them accountable to do it in the most efficient way, as close to the free market as possible. So can you give us an example of, uh, you've been in the office, I think he told us, uh, Boomer said, since November, basically, or you took office in yeah, January? Yeah, we, we, we got uh, sworn in on January 8th. And so it's been several months. Um, has there been a good example, like a shining example of how you have persuaded those other yes. board members? So, so we've got, um, it just came out, remember, uh, hemp was made legal by the federal government. Okay. So hemp still has... The stigma of being, oh, it's really marijuana, blah, blah, blah. Well, in California, in we California, legalized. it still oh, has that stigma. <laughs> you still look at you still have all of your conservatives that are fighting this all the way along. And the board that was there was very conservative that way. Mm-hmm. So not only am I in the ad hoc committee for cannabis, which I'm going ahead and trying to change the uh, developers agreement type of issue for licenses to where it's just really costly, everything else, and go to a tax and regulate, much like wine, you see. And so I, I have a lot more say being on that ad hoc committee, and we're changing that. So the cannabis licenses are county-based? Well, for the unincorporated areas. Each city okay. handles their own, but mm-hmm. we have at least 300,000, uh, yeah, at least 300,000 people that are in the un- unincorporated areas in the county. Huh. So all of our ordinances dictate that. But, but with hemp, myself... And another supervisor were able to keep this emergency uh, moratorium to go in to allow these hemp farmers to go ahead and put their crops in this year. Oh, cool! By being two no votes, because it takes a four it takes a four fifths on a moratorium, 
And out of five, if you've gotten two no votes, it's done. So, you know, building a relationship with my Democratic, the most Democratic, he's an ex-assemblyman. Yep. And, you know, I don't go after him and say, hey, look, you're an idiot for supporting unions or anything. That's his, that's his background. He was a union organizer. He grew up um, idolizing Cesar Chavez. But he's someone who has principles, and there's a lot of things we're going to agree on. So I first set up a good, and we're the only two that speak Spanish. Mm. So we have, we have a way of building a relationship, building trust. And you know what? All of a sudden, we're, ma- we're working together. And on the things we don't, we have a lot of fun. The other day, I'm trying to shoot down a one-half cent uh, tax increase countywide for more infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They already have a Measure A. And that's a half-cent sales tax. They want to do another one. And it's so funny to go around the, the table on Riverside County Transportation Commission and see all these conservative Republicans are going, you know, I'm against this. I'm, a, I'm against this. I'm against, I'm, I'm against taxes, but I think we need this. <laughs> so, you know, to me, just be at least be like a Democrat and go, I'm for this. We need to spend honest. this more money. You don't, you know, don't tell me this. So that's what I, I've always said. At least the Democrats will tell you straight to your face. Well, yeah, they want that, more taxes, right? So, so back 90 percent. So, so we will, I will get this thing shut down because I have a pathway there to do it from just the, the supervisors. But the same guy that helped me out on hemp, you know, he's, I'm walking out to go meet the CEO of Loma Linda uh, University at the time. I was in a hurry and he's going, read my lips, no new taxes, making fun of me mm-hmm. as a friend, gesturing. You yeah. see, those are the kind of relationships that you build because on the really important things, you come together. Jeff, I told you it was only going to be 10 minutes. Do you want to stay for another segment? It's up to you. Uh, yeah, that's fine. All right. More with Jeff Hewitt here uh, from Freedom Fest. we got more on the way. And, of course, you can go to freetalklive.com and learn more about us. This is Free Talk Live at Freedom Fest 2019. This is Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest 2019. We're at the Paris Hotel and in Las Vegas. It's Ian and Mark here uh, talking with interesting folks. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to, you know, have any uh, interesting guests this morning because it's still early in the morning. The official actual Freedom Fest hasn't even begun. It's, it's just registration time. People are still setting up. The, the vendor area is relatively empty. But we lucked out and ended up with an actual elected libertarian. I mean, I don't know if we're going to encounter another elected libertarian the entire time we're here. Jeff Hewitt, thanks for staying on with us. Yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to think, and I know most of my elected libertarians, and I'm not sure there's an, another one coming out right now. Now we have. Are there other ones in California that you are okay, aware so of? That's, okay, that's a real good question. So there's you know, f- 488 cities in California. Wow. That doesn't include cities. towns? Are there towns? No, those are incorporated towns and cities. Towns and cities. They're incorporated. Okay. They're municipalities, yeah. right. And, you know, the average size of a city council is five. There's yeah. a few that might have seven, but mostly five. So if you say 500 times five, that's 2,500 um, elected municipal officials. And, and we have, I believe, 0.7% of, uh, of registered uh, voters in California hmm. are libertarian. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just round off and say we're 1%. 1%, right? All right. 1% of 2,500 is 25. Right. There should be so 25, right? you would think without even trying that we would have 25. I wouldn't think who, that. No, well, okay. I've, but, been, a, I've okay. been a libertarian for a okay, long time. Well, okay. So here's what I'm trying to say, that there, there are some things working that, that shouldn't be working. And when I got elected to, um, to the city council of Calamesa back in 2010, I, there was one other 
elected libertarian, and that huh. was uh, John Inks. Statewide, in, one other statewide. Statewide. Okay. John Inks in Mountain View up mm. in Silicon Valley. While I was there in Riverside County, another person, Susan Marie Weber, was elected to the Palm Desert City Council. So for a while there, we had three. Wow. Three elected libertarians. In on, not on school boards, not on war boards, on city councils. Right now, we're back to one. Well, myself, I mean, for, for cities, I'm not city anymore. I'm yeah. county. Right, right. Susan Marie Weber, who is the mayor right now because they rotate the mayorship, she is the only one. She's the only one. I mean, again, we should have 25 without trying. Well, I mean, it is California, and it is the Libertarians. It's tough, man. It's no, tough. no, no. I am, I'm going to say this right now. California, not New Hampshire, has the best chance of starting out Libertarian. How's that? Really? Okay, okay I want to hear so, this one. Okay, so. <laughs> so you're talking about Libertarian politics and um, as opposed to the political party as opposed to Libertarian people. So go ahead. Okay, so let's, let's first start. And Richard Winger, please don't kill me. And I love you. That's a third-party ballot but, guy, ballot news. But so, so yeah, ballot access, yeah. you know. Uh, so when we went to top two, and you know what top two is on the primaries. Right. So top two means that the uh, that there's a primary, and then the top two vote-getting people... Regardless uh, of party, like, go on to the go general. Go on to the right. general. That way, because, you know, general uh, election voters are stupid, and they can't choose between three people. Well... That's the pre- premise, I guess. Well, <laughs> I, I believe it actually went in there to get more moderates from both parties in there, and, and it has had exactly the opposite effect. However, for third parties like the Libertarian Party, this actually, when you do get a viable candidate in a large race, etc., you don't have to worry. Remember, you, especially if you have a really weak, say, Republican, because it's, it's a one-party state right now. Yep. Democrats have super majorities in both state houses, mm-hmm. and they have each one of the eight constitutional state elected offices. So the Republican Party right now in California doesn't really have any more power than the Libertarian Party. So it gives us Mm. an opportunity to shine and come in and say, hey, this is a real fiscally conservative choice that has always been there for so many of the, uh, you know, social rights like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, gay rights and uh, what you put in your body, decriminalization of different substances, stuff like that. We bring that in there. and We got this perfect mix that people like. Again, it's just getting to the point where they feel like their horse can win a race. And that's that's what I'm up about. So it's the fear of a wasted vote is gone, um, basically, because the, the wasted vote syndrome, which is the craziest thing, uh, just it's sort of human nature. And I don't know why it is that people do this, right. uh, but they they do it. They say, well, um, if I vote for the libertarian, then I will be wasting my vote and the Republican will, uh, or the Democrat will get in, so I have to vote for the Republican. Now, of course, the likelihood that your one vote in any given election is going to make the difference between the Republican winning and losing is... Well, it's the it's the equivalent of believing you're going to win the lottery when you buy the right, ticket, right? And um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense at all. But people continue to hold on to this. But you, what you're saying is the Republicans aren't going to win anyway. So these people are like, well, I might as well vote for the Libertarian, and they do. Well, so so again, this is the way I look at it. you. You you adjust to what the rules are. You have to deal with what you have. You know, I'm not a billionaire. I can't go out there and spend a bunch of money to do ballot access laws or whatever, change those or a bunch of attorneys like that. But what I can do as a candidate is to go out there and show that not only can we win when we pick the right races, because remember, even though mine was nonpartisan, it was in all the papers in it. 
Yep. Most people that paid attention knew it's I delivered name recognition. Yeah. And so, so at the, at the end of the day, let's say that I'm able to uh, lead a, a, a team uh, assault on these unsustainable pensions. And for Riverside County, which is the second largest employer after the state of California for CalPERS pensions, hmm. if I'm able to change these and make it all new hires go to a 401k or a defined contribution, then I am actually able to say, look, and I could, I could be running for governor with an L behind my name, and people are going to know what I did. Plus, by that time, you've got a lot of large donors saying, this guy gets it done. Not only can he win, and he's shown that he can win, but he builds consensus, and this is a real leader. That's what libertarians need to exemplify themselves as. We get caught up with this, this, this. You have to build your way up. Again, had I not been a planning commissioner, I couldn't have been a real effective uh, elected on, on city a council. Mayor, right? uh, yeah. City council. And then, remember, I had to get two other people on my – I was picked three years in a row to be mayor. I was the first person in the history of Calamasa to be mayor three years in a row because of trust. And then that allowed me wow. to have the resume to go on to this bigger office. But see, the only office in California that's more powerful than the one I have now is governor. Going to state legislature would be stepped step down for me. Interesting. So what should people do if they want to go and emulate what you've done, which is getting elected as a libertarian, which is... Uh, you mean nationwide? Yeah, anywhere. Oh, yeah, anywhere. Okay, so, so I have a toolkit. And I say that, you know, not literally, but this toolkit is very, very simple. First of all, you've got to ask yourself where you fit in. Are you a candidate? Are you an activist? Can you be a campaign manager? Are you a donor? There's four things that every major campaign needs. And so f- kind of figure out what your, your thing is. And if you're going to be a candidate, here's what you do. Go out and get appointed to a city commission. The planning commission is the best because half of all planning commissioners in California go on to be on the council. Half. So you're mm-hmm. already in the 50% club right there. Mm-hmm. But if you can't, get on your Rotary, get on your local Kiwanis, be the, the president of your Chamber of Commerce, be active in the community where people get to know you, make friends, and then right away take Toastmasters. That's the most important thing. Speaking. Speaking oh, yeah, I am. I, I, was, I, was, I was always very outgoing, but I, you put me up in front of 12 people with a dais, and I was deer in the headlights. Mm. Toastmasters, about a year of that, allowed me to start winning speaking contest, believe it or not. Wow. And you've got to be able to get up in front of yourself and spread the word and be a leader. People expect that out of you. So Toastmasters, get involved with the community. Find out if you're living in a municipality, how large is that? What has the the, the, tre- the, 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 the uh, war chest been? How much does it take to get elected historically? Right. And make sure you have that ability to raise that amount. If all those things fit and then find someone good, the larger race you have, the more you're going to need an actual campaign team. But when you get all those things together, you're going to find up, you're going to wait, wake up. Now you've been elected. Now the real work begins. Right. No, no. <laughs> I thought because, it was hard before. No, no, no. Because remember, <laughs> anybody can get elected, but can you govern and can you make an effect that's a positive effect? So see, those are the things you do it. If I can do it again, I was a B minus student. <laughs> you know, I've dug 10,000 swimming pools. I, I, I'm all broken down. I'm getting this, this knee replaced in two and a half weeks. I've already had You're one You're a construction done. guy. Is what you yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm Joe the plumber that yeah. can win at, at Jeopardy, mm-hmm. you know. But I treat people 
like they're the smartest ones. I'm the dumb guy. They just want somebody to watch over some of these things in their lives while they're raising their kids and trying to go through their... Right. And they want somebody they can trust. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear, oh, I'm a libertarian or I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. They want somebody that they can trust. And my libertarian principles come in handy because free market and, and all these things about treating people with respect and allowing them to do things when it doesn't hurt anybody else, all those things build up a much better society. And when you get people buying into that and actually realizing the good things that happen when they're implemented, then when you come out and they say, how did you do this? It was my libertarian principles and I'm proud to be a member of this party. That's how we become the number one party. And that's going to happen. It'll happen in my lifetime. I'm going to make sure it does. Because when you've dug 10,000 swimming pools, they don't dig themselves. (laughs) And I've finished every one. And when you've got that stick-to-itiveness, winning a governor's race or a president's race is actually very easy. Jeff, thanks for coming on Free Talk Live. Really appreciate it. I'm crazy about My Magic Mud. This is the most important oral care product created this millennium, and I'm not kidding. We all have different opinions on politics and issues, but we all have mouths. And I want yours to be as clean as possible, with teeth as bright as they were meant to be. I will never be without My Magic Mud. It's a little surprising, but man, does it work. If you only listen to one thing I say ever, go to MyMagicMud.com and get 20% off with code FTL. MyMagicMud.com, code FTL. Talk live. We're kicking off hour number two from Freedom Fest, day number one. John Lott is actually joining us here. Many listeners, I'm sure, are already familiar with the name. Uh, accomplished author, uh, gentleman who I believe, Mark, you've had on uh, Edgington Post yep, in the past. He's a professor, and because of some of his opinions, well, opinion isn't even the right term, because of some of his research, um, he's had a, some difficult times with his uh, fellows. John, um, what would you say can you encapsulate your research in a, in a few words <laughs> well you know it's basically the notion that uh you can, if you make it riskier for criminals to commit crime they commit less crime if arrest rates conviction rates go up uh you see less crime but also if you allow law-abiding citizens to be able to go and protect themselves you also make it riskier for criminals to commit crime and that the police are extremely important in stopping crime, but the police themselves realize that they almost always arrive on the crime scene after the crime's committed. Mm-hmm. They're the cleanup that, crew, right? And that raises the question about what's the safest course of action for people to take when they're confronted by a criminal. And turns out by far the safest course of action is for people to have a gun. So... More guns, less crime. There's a book by that name. <laughs> I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we've talked about it for uh, a great deal, and I can, I can tell you, it's a the notion is a tough sell. Media out there is constantly pushing the notion that um, the guns are, ir- if at the very best they'll say is the guns are irrelevant to crime, and um, in some cases they'll say the guns cause crime. They love to use to trot out things like. Um, gun deaths is the terminology that they like to use, which, of course, encapsulates suicides. Suicide's not a crime. Right. Well, look, uh, I think most people who listen to the media would almost always just hear about bad things that happen with guns and virtually never sure. hear about the benefits. And I think that has a real impact on people's perceptions about the costs and benefits of guns. Um, on our website at crimeresearch.org, we have literally dozens of mass public shootings that have been stopped, what would have been mass public shootings that Mm. were stopped by concealed carry permit holders. Cases where 
not my opinion, but cases where police or sheriffs or prosecutors have said that if it wasn't for the presence of a permit holder, you would have had many people killed. Uh, you know, some of these very dramatic cases, but yet they only get media coverage in the local media market. And even then, maybe only one or two news stories on right. it. My guess is that the entire gun control debate would be dramatically different if only a couple things got news coverage or got some news coverage. One would be the fact that we keep on seeing these mass public shootings in places where people are banned from being able to go and defend themselves, uh, these so-called gun-free zones. And once in a while would give news coverage to cases where people have used guns to protect themselves and prevent bad things from happening. I mean, I can give you cases like last fall uh, in Florida, not very far from the Parkland, where the Parkland shooting occurred last year. There was a back-to-school event uh, for elementary school students. There were literally a couple hundred elementary school students there, plus their parents. And uh, a man came in, started firing a gun. Uh, fortunately, there was a vendor there who had a concealed carry permit, and uh, and uh, seriously wounded the attacker wow. before he was able to go and kill anybody. Uh, you can get multiple statements from the police there saying that there's really no doubt in their mind that if the permit holder wasn't there, uh, there would have been bath. many people would have been killed as a result of that. And instead, the, and the shooter didn't even kill a single single he person. He he was stopped before he wounded or killed anybody. Amazing. And. Uh, but, you know, if the permit holder wasn't there, the case would have gotten international news coverage for sure. Uh, right. and, instead, and been an example as to why we need to ban guns. Yeah. Right. As it is, uh, it barely got local news coverage. Um, you know, in the last few years, I can only think of really one case of a mass shooting that was stopped by a permit holder that got any type of national news coverage. And they got it backwards. Uh, just a couple days after the uh, synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, uh, there was an attack at a grocery store in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where a racist had gone into the grocery store and was shooting blacks. And um, the national news coverage focused on his statement. This is, you know, Meet the Press, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, New York Times, all focused on the statement from the killer that... Uh, where he went up to somebody and said, whites don't shoot whites. And the focus was that he was somehow assuring this white person, customer there at the store, that he didn't need to worry that he wasn't mm. going to shoot him because he was white and the killer was white. Well, what was left out of that was the beginning of the killer's statement. What he actually said was, please don't shoot me. Whites don't shoot whites. And the beginning <laughs> of the quote, the reason why... The beginning of the quote's important and completely changes yeah. the meaning is because the customer there was a concealed carry permit holder. And he was mm. pointing his gun at the killer, and the killer was begging the permit holder not to shoot the killer there. And uh, uh, But by leaving that out, it, makes, it completely changes the meaning and made wow. it look like the racist killer there was trying to assure a white customer that the customer didn't have anything to worry about, whereas, in fact, he was begging the customer not to shoot the killer there. The, the, they exchanged gunfire. Uh, the killer was seriously wounded, uh, drove his car away, and uh, basically collapsed 
and the car stopped about a half mile or so from where the attack had occurred, and the police were able to go and catch him later on. But all that is left out of uh, the news coverage on it. Amazing. You know, uh, it's frustrating to see the pro-state news all over the place, and uh, especially when they take positions like this. Uh, of course, the only solution is to create our own media and to... Well, that's you know, the reason why you guys are here. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. To have alternatives where people can get a, a position from, you know, whoever is on the air that actually supports freedom. And uh, so that's, yeah, that is what we're here doing. So I guess I have... Uh, uh, Another question is, is uh, I had a friend who went to uh, Honduras and he said everybody there has a gun and crime is not low. Do you have any, th- I mean, is there anything you can say, say to that? I mean, because this is sort of a counter example from his point of view. Right. Well, uh, legal gun ownership in Honduras is, ex- is very low. Uh, it's pretty much impossible for a law-abiding citizen to legally own a gun in Honduras. Uh, do they have a lot of gun crime? Sure. I mean, Mexico also has a lot of gun crime. Mexico, only about 1% of uh, the adult population in the country has a legal license to own a gun. Slightly over. Since 1972, there's only been one gun store in Mexico uh, run by the military. Guns are incredibly expensive. Hmm. The most powerful rifle that you can buy legally since 1972 in Mexico or own uh, is a 22 caliber short round, which is pretty you know, small. Really, <laughs> the least powerful rifle in any standard way that you can go Good and buy. Good for varmints. If it's not legal, Mark, to own a gun, then if you use a gun to defend yourself, you are then guilty of a crime in right. that case. By the sounds so of it, yeah. Right. You then become a statistic. You yeah, then become in Mexico, a gun uh, obviously they have a murder rate that's five to six times higher than the murder rate that we have here in the United States. They're not using twenty two caliber short rounds there. Basically, it's drug gangs fighting against each other in order to control drug turf or fighting against the government. And, uh, you know, the point is, is that uh, in all these countries, uh, when you ban guns, it's basically the criminals who have them. The most yeah. law-abiding citizens turn in their guns, don't own them. And Well, thank goodness we're not pro- seeing people turn in their guns in New Zealand. I'm sure you've been following uh, that situation. Right. Well, the problem that they have in that. New Zealand, the government has, is uh, they hadn't registered the guns beforehand that they're requiring that people turn in. So they didn't know who owned the guns and who well, they Well, that's a problem for the government. But for the rest of us, that's actually a really good thing. Right. <laughs> you know, the question is, over time, my guess is uh, they'll whittle it away. Maybe it will depend on the next government that's there in New Zealand. Unfortunately, uh, there's not much of a debate that's going on there with regard to gun ownership. You know, even in Canada, you have uh, the government there wants to ban handguns. A lot of that's going to be determined by the election that they have coming up in October. John, I appreciate you spending time uh, with us here on Free Talk Live, and thanks for all the research you're doing at crimeresearch.org. It's been a pleasure. Sure. This is Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest 2019 at the Paris Hotel. Ian and Mark here in our remote studio as uh, we are on day number one of this event. I do want to remind you about Freedoms Phoenix. It is a liberty-oriented news aggregation site. If you want the newest and current and uh, freshest stories and perspectives on current events from those who value liberty, then freedomsphoenix.com has it. Their daily dispatch is the best way to stay up to date on science, technology, historical findings, 
spending's liberty news government overspending and the rise of the police state freedoms with an s phoenix.com that's freedoms phoenix Dot com. As uh, we continue here, Dan Fishman has joined us. He is the executive director of the Libertarian Party. And, Dan, you and I had the opportunity to meet, I think, a year or two ago at the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire's convention. Yep. Where you were at the time, uh, you were speaking, I think you were the keynote speaker, uh, so I recorded that video. That video is actually online for anybody that wants to go and look for uh, Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, Dan Fishman. You can see your speech there. Uh, But you were running for auditor of uh, Massachusetts. I did. Poor man, you're from Massachusetts. Well, and of course, what's (laughs) interesting about that race is that running that race directly led to me taking the executive director position. So... uh, so it was a good thing, ultimately. Is what it, it was. It, it was a good thing. It was a wake-up thing. Uh, so we started the race early. We started in 2017 uh, because we had to raise a lot of money. Because in Massachusetts, ballot access costs money. And if you're not a Republican or Democrat, you mean? Even if you're a Republican or Democrat, really? it costs money. Really? Yeah. How well, much are we talking? In about? fact, it costs because we are libertarians are also a major party in the state of Massachusetts. So, oh wow! For us to run for auditor cost a little over fifteen thousand dollars. What? Yep. So that's why we started raising money in uh, 2017. Wow. Um, you know, for the Republicans and Democrats, they can do that walking in the park. Well, in fact, sure. what happened was that for all the Republicans, uh, Charlie Baker paid for them all to get on the ballot so they could Who's run that? with them. Charlie Baker, the governor of oh, okay. Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, you're right. There's a lot of people on your we're, we're in our own little world in, in New fine. Hampshire. Oh, yeah. I don't want to know anything about Massachusetts. <laughs> so <laughs> if something's going on south of the border, I'm just like, ah, forget about it. So uh, one of the interesting things, though, that happened in the race was I was endorsed by the Boston Globe and the Worcester Gazette Telegram. Deal. It is a big telegram. So the biggest papers in Massachusetts endorsed a libertarian. Has that a, ever happened before? It has never happened before in a four-way race. Wow. So why uh, do you think you got the endorsement? Uh, well, I went in there. So first of Here's all, the best candidate, duh. Yeah, exactly. But also, I had so I had a television ad that uh, you can probably find on Facebook and link to, uh, in which uh, so this will make more sense to people who understand sports. But to describe a television ad, it starts off with a close-up zoom on a guy's chest and says "number one Colts fan." Then it zooms out, guy putting on a referee's jersey. Then he walks that out. Same into, guy. Same guy. He walks out of Foxborough Stadium and he picks up a football and he says, "Stop the game! These balls are underinflated." And this is a reference to uh, controversy. A reference. Of exactly. Tom Brady, Deflate Gate. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Almost everybody who knows football will understand. Heard it. In Massachusetts, that, yeah. it was a big. Even deal. I heard about that, and exactly. I don't care about exactly. <laughs> and so we were voted. We were voted number one political ad in the entire 20, cycle of 2018. Uh, we ran that on television, endorsed by the Boston Globe. I had a great slogan: "Why would you elect a Republican or a Democrat?" To audit Republicans and Democrats. Mm. My name is Dan Fishman. I'm a libertarian. I'm a computer scientist. I'm going to put all the books online real time so that when they wow. go back and cook them, you can go back and change them. So uh, early August, uh, polls look like I'm at 30 percent and we're polling ourselves. We're paying for a company to do it. Mm. And I'm like, this is a unique opportunity. So I ended up quitting my job. Uh, and running full time as a programmer, uh, yeah, I was a software engineer. I mean, uh, let's let's put it in context, okay? As a software engineer, even now, uh, I get cold calls with job offers every day. Wow. Software engineering is just a hot market right now, and yeah. I have some famous things in my past. Okay. Uh, so, that being said, in August I quit my job, knowing full well that I could get hired again uh, when the campaign was over. But gotcha. running full time, 
a week before the election. And so, I, you know, I have the endorsement of the Boston Globe. I have the endorsement of the Worcester Gazette-Telegram. You have the, uh, best, com- uh, the best commercial on We have the best going. commercial, exactly. Uh, I'm speaking to a group of Democrats, of uh, League of Women Voters in Wellesley, Massachusetts. So, Democrats squared. That's a nonpartisan group, by the sounds of it, <laughs> so Dan. So, I give them my, uh, my spiel, <laughs> and they, at the end, I can tell I'm reaching them, too. People are nodding along. Mm. Uh, and good at the end, contact. a woman stands up. A good eye contact. Yeah. Uh, at the end, a woman stands up. She says, Dan, I love everything you had to say. I think you would be an amazing auditor. But the party has told me that if I don't vote blue all the way down the ticket, that shows weakness in the Democratic Party. And that allows Donald Trump to build the wall. Wow. And I cannot have that. Jeez. And people stood up and started clapping. And I'm like, wow, we are going to lose. <laughs> and so sure enough, we did. Four and a half percent. So oh endorsed by God. the Globe. Did you even get third? I, I did finish third. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, gr- the green. And so interestingly enough. You know what baffles me about this crap is that these people, these Democrats in Massachusetts, believe that their vote matters in so much as Massachusetts needs to come in and, as this Democratic monolith. Right. You can't have a libertarian auditor right. in Massachusetts because it will somehow affect a wall being built Two twenty five hundred miles That's away. It's just lunacy. Like it's absolutely these it, people it do. It's voting is a religion. It is, and 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 you know people want to show their piety too. You know there is a lot of uh, virtue signaling among the Democrats in and the Republicans. Places. I'm sure Democrat Republicans <laughs> as well. Absolutely. So it was very interesting because you know I went to a lot of Republican events uh, and a few Democrat events. Uh, there were candidates running that, to their credit, who said, "You know what? You're right." You're right, Dan. The auditor shouldn't be a Republican or a Democrat. And so please come speak at my events. And so the guy who was running uh, for attorney general said, you you should come. Uh, And that was great. And I enjoyed doing that. And a lot of Republicans said, yeah, you know what? We're going to vote for you. And a lot of Democrats said, we're going to vote for you. But when push came to shove on election day, no, exactly right. And so that's when I sort of made the realization. I have to do something because the idea of liberty, of being free, Speak goes to my family's personal history. So my grandmother came over from Russia. Uh, her, my great grandmother, one, uh, my grandmother was one of nine daughters. One day she and her mom came home, and their dad was gone. And they said to the neighbors, "What happened? What do you know?" And you know, and he's like, "Yeah, the police came and got him." So they went down to the police station. The police were like, "Yeah, we have no idea where he is." This is Russian police. This is in Russia. Yeah, okay. just vanished. Uh, well, so Russia then, Ukraine now. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, you know, they said uh, he's gone. And so uh, my great-grandmother came to the United States, came to Lynn, Massachusetts, actually, uh, which is sort of my personal history. So in 2011, when uh, Barack Obama signed the National Defense Authorization Act, it said that under suspicion of terrorism, they can bring you downtown for questioning without a warrant. They can hold you without the right to a trial or without the right to an attorney, both of which are constitutionally guaranteed rights. Speak specifically to my family's history as to why we came here. And so I said, that's not right. And it affects me directly because I'd like to think that I do it no matter what. But so I'm a person who. Well, don't believes, forget how they shut down the whole a whole town um, in Massachusetts when exactly they had right. the, uh, the Boston bombing. Um, yeah, exactly right. And so for me at that point in time, I was doing things that, you know, I'd run as a third party candidate. And, uh, you know, I I read a lot of world journalism so for example i believe i still believe al jazeera is doing a better coverage of drone strikes american drone strikes yes. than anybody else so does that make it is that enough of a reason for the fbi to come 
ask me some questions because I read Al Jazeera and Iran is a third party candidate. Maybe. I'm certain you can find 20% of the population to say yes. Exactly right. And so, so that's why I decided to run was to talk about that basic issue, the erosion of our rights. And, you know, our Constitution is a unique document among governing documents and that it doesn't say that your rights come from government. It says that your rights are inherently yours. And the Constitution specifically says, hey, government. Don't, inter- don't interfere with people's right to speech. Hold that thought. We're going yep. to continue here more with Dan Fishman, the executive director of the Libertarian Party, in moments from Freedom Fest 2019. This is Free Talk Live. I want to tell you about my favorite cryptocurrency wallet, Edge Wallet at edge.app. Edge is the wallet I use more than any other, and that was true long before Edge Wallet became a sponsor of Free Talk Live. Edge Wallet allows you to buy, sell, trade, and securely hold your cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, tokens, Monero, Ripple, Dash, Bitcoin Cash, and more. It's available for both Android and iOS, and you can download it via the Play or App Store or via Edge Wallet's website, edge.app. Secure your freedom with Edge Wallet. It's Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest 2019, the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas for day number one of what will be four days of broadcasting from this event. And then we're going to do a bonus uh, show on Sunday, I believe, from a completely different event that's going to be going on here called Anarcho. In conjunction. Anarcho Vegas, yeah. uh, as I understand it. So we got a lot of uh, content coming at you and a lot of likely very interesting people to talk to. But we, of course, also need to tell you about some cool stuff like local.bitcoin.com, where you can go right now and uh, you can buy and sell Bitcoin cash with dozens of payment methods, PayPal, Venmo, bank deposits, remittances, even cash in person. Uh, a lot of our co-hosts are actually getting in on this. Uh, Aria, Demetza, Rich, Paul, uh, Chris, Reedman, I'm on there. There's like at least five, I think Michael Hampton, uh, at least five Free Talk Live co-hosts have active accounts right now on local.bitcoin.com because it's a pretty great site and it's brand new. So, you know, you're getting in uh, pretty early if you go there at local.bitcoin.com. One of the most important things you need to know about it is there's no know your customer identification requirements to sign up for an account there and the communications between buyers and sellers is encrypted so not even the website administrators uh, can read what it is that you're saying to one another unless you give them permission to so you might need to in like a dispute so if somebody's trying to scam you or whatever you need to bring an auditor uh, in there and uh, or an arbitrator and they will uh, check your you know, your evidence in that case. Local.bitcoin.com. Go and get signed up for that. As we continue here, Dan Fishman is with us. And uh, you are the executive director of the Libertarian Party. But we were kind of telling some of your more recent past. We were. Um, having lived in Massachusetts. And yeah. you were. And, and now I have a Bitcoin story that I have to tell. Please. Which, uh, we uh, love Bitcoin stories. Exactly. After talking about local.bitcoin.com. Um, I, uh, I was at Liberty Forum. In, uh, New, in Hampshire, New Hampshire, okay. In 2012, when they brought the first Bitcoin ATM up there. Oh wow! And that was the one made of uh, plywood. Yeah, right? I remember yep. that. Exactly. Wow, right. you are you, you get to say old school if you've seen the plywood well, Bitcoin ATM. That was so, Lamasu, the brand yeah, Lamasu. Yeah. So to be a sport, I put a hundred dollars in. Yeah. Oh my god! And so I got fourteen Bitcoin, <sighs> seven at the time. Exactly. <laughs> Where, Where did they so, go? Except, except that. 
I sold it 140. I'm like, how could it possibly go higher than 20 uh, times? Yeah. <laughs> so, and we're sitting here, by the way, for our audience that doesn't know, uh, Bitcoin just dropped under ten thousand dollars yesterday. So it's at like exactly eight hundred right dollars. I, I like to think of it as that it went all the way up to fourteen thousand, which would have been a uh, two thousand times. Uh, increase God. on my $100 investment. And yeah. so you do a quick math, that would have been $2 million. Yeah. Oh, well, man. Just, just remember, it's probably the best return you ever got on an investment oh, in 2020. Cool. Yeah. That's <laughs> probably true. I mean, but you didn't give up at that point, right? Like you got back in, presumably? I, I, did, right? I did come back in. Okay, uh, cool. You know, I was an Ethereum guy for quite a while. Uh, got out at like 700 so I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, I got in at 12 uh, But, uh, you know, I am... I'm sort of biding my time right now because right now there's a couple other things. And also, having quit my job, I'm trying to be a little more liquid with some of the stuff that I'm doing, too. Is the Libertarian Party uh, accepting cryptocurrency for We do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think not less of me and my omniscience that I don't know the URL off the top of my head. But if you search for Libertarian Party, donate by Bitcoin. You'll, You'll get the link. It. I bet you started LP.org. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah is, it is at LP.org, and uh, it is uh, – if you go to the regular site, LP.org slash join. And, and let me make that pitch right now, too. Uh, we are – you know, it it makes a big deal right now if people are joining the Libertarian Party at the national level. We're going to be doing a lot more to make your membership worthwhile. Uh, we're going to have a participatory democracy, so – Members-only website, so you can only get on when, if you're a dues-paying member, but then you're going to get to vote on a lot of issues facing libertarians, and your LNC representatives will see how you vote. So instead of saying, oh, these guys don't represent me, they're going to know exactly how you voted. So you know, That sounds like a big change. It, it's a pretty big change, and it's not, it's not a binding vote, mm-hmm. so, but it is a big change. We've never done this before. So again, for me, becoming executive director, but having been a software guy in the past, I'm a data guy. I'm a data scientist, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. I want the LNC to have really good data about what libertarians who are members of the Libertarian Party think. What because, they're wanting, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because one of the things that's really distracting right now is there's a lot of noise about what is actually the Liberty Movement and what is actually the Libertarian Party. Yeah. If everybody who said that they rage quit the Libertarian Party had actually been a member, we would be very financially sound. <laughs> <laughs> Ian raged quit. I didn't he was, rage he was quit. a life member. <laughs> but yeah. I was a life member who resigned <laughs> right. over, uh, yeah, over their, the, my frustrations with them nominating people like Bob Barr. And, sure. You know, sure. Well, the, so the interesting thing about it is that, uh, you know, as a lifetime member, you'll be able to vote on this site if you no, want. No, I to. resigned. <laughs> so, we, it, interestingly enough, we don't have a mechanism to I revoke. called. You called. You <laughs> will still be there. We probably don't email you or anything else. But there is uh, right. unless I, this is what I've always thought, Ian, is, uh-huh. is that you're still a life member because you, you are you paid the life member dues yeah. and that they probably don't have any mechanism, just like the Free State Project doesn't have any mechanism for telling you that people have left the state. The, the Libertarian Party doesn't have any mechanism for actually right. getting rid of a member. There actually is some uh, some talk about making that as a formal thing just because, uh, you know, there are, you know, should David Duke decide to join? Uh, you know, we probably would. Uh, well, that's one of the things about this voting system that you're coming up with is is that when you just sort of open voting up on the internet, you get um, you know exactly. kids from 4chan voting in Yeet Cannon as mm-hmm. the uh, name of your uh, your new weapon. One of my favorite software projects was uh, manipulating polls on the Boston Globe. <laughs> I mean, I mostly used it for good, so that Honest Akiria would always be the best burrito in Boston. Nice, but uh, you know, well, I, would, I mean, a man's gonna take right. a stand exactly, but. I would occasionally use it for uh, slightly more nefarious purposes. Uh, it was a really good site, too. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, Russia has a lot of uh, 
voters. Reader, well, no, a lot of proxies. <laughs> I so see. proxy servers. So because a lot of uh, the globe uses an IP specific thing, mm-hmm. so you can only vote once per IP. So I would bounce it off of a proxy through Russia and then vote. But there are other proxies. Sweet. I would go through Indonesia and other places as well. <laughs> yep, and that's how it can be done. Yeah, yeah just like that. So this in this program where people actually have to pay their membership uh, in the Libertarian Party um, in order to vote. Right, exactly. We have we essentially it's a login site, so there is no anonymous voting. You right. actually have to register anonymous. Essentially, anytime there's anonymous voting, it's going to be spoofed no matter what. Right, I mean, for sure. you go back and look at the Ron Paul polling back on CNN stuff like that. Ron Paul, Ron Paul won every debate. You'd, you'd think he would have won the election in a landslide. Exactly. I'm not saying I had anything to do with that, <laughs> right. but uh, there is. Uh, I would just say that online polls could be very easily manipulated. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, the, the best one on the internet ever has to be when 4chan voted in the new flavor of Mountain Dew as Hitler did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> those, those kids are just a-holes of the highest order. That one's good. The University of Mississippi one, too, where they wanted to replace their uh, mascot because their mascot was the Rebels. Uh, and they said, so what should it be instead? And so they voted for Admiral Akbar from the Star Wars, who also is the Rebels. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you mentioned the Yeet Cannon, which was a gun company that, that put up a vote on what their new gun should be named, yep. and Yeet Cannon won. Which so is, yeet, you know, yeeting apparently is like yelling on the internet uh, some pointlessly. Sort of slang. It's internet yeah. slang. Yeah, it's funny and, stuff. Uh, and apparently can- they did. They accepted yeah. the name and they like printed it on the side of the gun. They created like YT something, <laughs> you know, one what eighty five or whatever. So I have a fun libertarian gun story. Okay, when sure. they uh, got rid of the when they Massachusetts was going to make the uh, printable plans for the three uh, D printable gun yeah. illegal. So uh, <laughs> it'll fix everything. Another thank act. God, right. Thank God that you a holes down there south of the border are fixing all our problems by passing laws. So another activist and I went down to the state house with uh, flash drives that we put on there the plans for the gun as well as every book that we can find that had been banned in the United States. So uh, Huckleberry Finn, right. Catcher in the Rye, everything was in public domain. Of course, we didn't violate any copyright because that would be bad. But uh, every book that we could find that had been banned and the ban- the material they were trying to ban. Yeah. I don't know if we had any influence or not, but Massachusetts did not ban the uh, 3D plans. Some of the gun. attorney hopefully got to them and told them uh, this yeah. is not going to hey, fly. That's stupid, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you were telling us you you know you're really passionate about liberty. Yep. Uh, the uh, the auditor thing didn't work out unfortunately, nope. um, and you decided what was it that where was the catalyst that made you want to move to the D.C. area? So the job requires being in D.C. The executive but, director. But how did you become the executive? Like so, what, in October. Right before uh, the election, they opened. They announced that they were going to be hiring a new executive director. Wes Benedict had been the director for a long time. Yeah. Uh, he resigned. And uh, so I decided that I would apply for the position because I really felt like we needed people who had more business experience. Hold that thought. We're going to get into the rest of the story. All right. One more segment because uh, I know you're on your time crunch here. Yeah. Uh, Dan Fishman is with us. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. Uh, sounds like there's some music being played in the background here at the, the Paris Hotel. We're at Freedom Fest 2019. Ian and Mark in our remote studio joined by Dan Fishman, the executive director of the Libertarian Party. That's the National Libertarian Party. Their website is lp.org. Uh, so, Dan, you were just telling us how you ended up becoming the executive director of the Libertarian Party. So, uh, in October, the job opened up. Uh, they announced that they were accepting applications. Uh, and I had that epiphany with League of Women Voters that made me feel like the American-style American style democracy 
has subverted what American lifestyle is supposed to be like. That we have too many times where we are splitting the populace and using a very small minority, a very small majority rather, to inflict our will upon the minority. That's not what we're supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And so I felt... I think it's the minority. I mean, because the more active you are in politics, and very few people are willing to do it, the more active you are, the much more influence you have. The squeaky wheel really does get the grease in it, politics. It, it does. Uh, well, I would say we probably agree that the majority is generally apathetic towards what's happening. Yep. Uh, but so what the big parties have been doing is they've been trying to find ways to polarize and to split us into smaller and smaller yeah. groups. And so they establish all these wedge issues that that divide people so that you can say, well, I don't support this candidate because they're not with me on this wedge issue, and I don't support this candidate because they're not with me on this wedge issue. And so if they can shrink the party down to the point that, you know, nobody else gets more than 20% and they've got 25%, they're going to win the election. And that seems to be the, most, the model for both the Republicans and the Democrats going forward. And I feel like the Libertarians are the only ones who have a solution to that. And so that was the sort of thing that inspired me uh, because I don't want to see the end of the American experiment. Uh, you know, as a libertarian, uh, I You don't want to see the end of the American experiment? I mean, hasn't it been an abject failure, and shouldn't we completely abandon it well, and uh, have the, secession instead? One of the things I like to say is that it's the uh, the worst government in the world except for all the other ones. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, it's, clo it's close to a Winston Churchill uh, quote. But, and yeah. and by, by the way, that guy's got some great quotes. Yeah, absolutely. I, the five-volume set of World War II is uh, in my office right now. Um, one of the things about it, though, is exactly that, is that this idea of, you know, the promise of the American experiment, that there's no more kings, no more princes, no more peasants, but citizens, all of us, united at an equal level, that was new to the country, and it actually is new to models of authoritarianism because, in general, authoritarianism always tries to rise up and say, no, there's going to be an authority. Mm -hmm. The American experiment is the idea that there is no authority higher than the people. And we may have had some differences, and you know, we're going to argue minarchist and anarchist and voluntarist and all that stuff between it, but the fundamental premise of the people being the ultimate arbiter, that's the American experiment, and that is new and that is unique. Okay? Nobody else does it like we do, right? I mean, the English are somewhat there, and we're descended from them. But you go around the world, there is not another government with the basic idea that the people can change their form of government if they want to. And we've done it. Uh, you know, you, you guys, well, Mark, you might be old enough to remember Watergate. Yeah, well, a point, I know that existed. Exactly. <laughs> but so there was a point in time at which people didn't know what was going to happen. There were people in D.C., the governors of Maryland and Virginia had been contacted about calling up their National Guard if the president decided to activate the army and use it to defend himself in the White House. Wow. That didn't happen. That is a triumph for us. And so as much as I complain about the state, and you can read my writings, you can see a lot of complaints that I have about the state. I recognize the fact that, okay, I am freaky. I don't want to get into how I'm freaky. Like, I mean, there might be some, <laughs> might be some Dungeons and Dragons in my background, a love of musical theater. I might have been a college jock, all sorts of freaky things. You look like you might be chaotic good. Yeah, the, you got it exactly right. <laughs> in any other country. There's no question in my mind that I would be in jail. Mm -hmm. And sure. so my debt to the United States and to that idea of the American experiment manifests itself through my now involvement with the Libertarian Party and trying to make sure that, you know, the promise of Abraham Lincoln, a government of the people, 
by the people and for the people shall not vanish from this earth because if we don't protect it here is that the guy that uh, threw uh, journalists in jail during the that's uh, that the guy who suspended habeas corpus <laughs> yeah, uh, just I, I wasn't sure I got like a loss there for a second but also third party candidates so uh, you know he has a soft spot in my heart in that respect um, but, but Republican was the third party candidate because it broke off from the Democratic Republicans at that point no no so the Whigs split into the Know Nothing Party uh-huh. honest to God that was their name yep. the Know Nothing Party and the Free Soil Party which then became the Republican Party. And so when Lincoln was elected, it was the first time a, third, a Republican had been elected. Democratic Republicans actually became the Democrats. They got rid of the Republic idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but, so, that. but so, so you're right, Ian. You, you called me out on it. I'm passionate about this issue because, you know, as somebody who things could be a lot worse for me, I feel like the best way that I can fight for liberty which I think is the most important thing that we have, right? It's the one thing that is our birthright that we are granted by birth is liberty, hopefully. That, the way that I fight for that now is to do it through the Libertarian Party because I see that as the most effective thing. I think and, it's super important. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're involved uh, with the Libertarian Party. It's been a, you know, watching it from the outside to some extent has been disappointing over over recent years because I, you yep. know, I'm a, I'm a Harry Brown Libertarian. I came into the party back in the late 90s with the Harry Brown campaign and uh, the the candidates that they've put forward for president just haven't been able to hold his jockstrap, you know, right. since uh, since that time. And it's just been a, a major disappointment. But, uh, you know, it's still important to have the Libertarian Party out there. Right. And I do want to see them get back to being the party of principle, which was what, you know, turned right. me on to it back in the back in the day. I, I think one of the interesting things about the Libertarian Party that is starting to appeal now is we start to see some real growth. So in Massachusetts, uh, the Libertarian Party is the only political party that's growing. Uh, and in fact, really? we tripled our membership from 2017 to 2019. Wow. A uh, number of uh, registered voters. So we are seeing growth like that. We're starting to see it across country. And the reason why, I think, is that party of principle, we are also always the party of opposition. No matter what mm-hmm. party is in power, libertarians stand entrenched to the idea, you shall not expand government. And that means at various points in time, during the Obama administration, when people really became sort of more politically aware, Republicans are like, hey, those libertarians are our allies. Now the Democrats are like, hey, those, those libertarians, libertarians are our allies. Exactly yeah. right. And people are waking up to the fact that there is something to that. And one of the interesting things about it is like I spent a lot of time talking to people say, you actually could be a member of the National Party and still be registered as a Republican or registered as a Democrat because we don't care about your registration in terms of joining the National Party. Right. So remembering, if you think there's some value to having a permanent party of opposition to government, that's what the Libertarian Party represents. I agree. And and what I would say about the National Party is is that they do something for me that the other um, state parties don't do. Right. They provide me somebody to vote for in the most important election where my vote matters the least statistically. Right. They give me somebody to vote for that I can feel better about having voted for. Right. Right. I mean, I'm not going to claim that Gary Johnson was the perfect candidate by any stretch of the imagination. I liked him very much. Thought nice he was a great man. guy. Yeah. yeah. Nice guy. Um, but he, you know, he, he was more anti-war. Right. Especially in his 20, uh, 2012 campaign yeah. rather than his 2016 campaign. But he was more anti-war than everybody else out there. And right. that's who I have to vote for. Right. So we, uh, we're focusing on three big topics right now. One of them is uh, America at Peace. Let me plug AmericaAtPeace.com, uh, where we are really trying to talk about the fact that, you know, one of the things that's crazy to me, right, the most, the most intense violation of personal liberty in my lifetime is the draft during mm-hmm. Vietnam. The idea that people 
who were pacifists, right, could be taken out of their homes, forced to join the army, sent overseas and made to kill people. And the fact is that conscription is still the law of the land. And in fact, the president can start it up with an executive order. The idea sure. that currently, the draft boards are still in place. Exactly right. You still have to sign up for it. And that's insane. That's something that we can change right now. And the Libertarian Party can lead on that because I don't think the Republicans or the Democrats have the will to start it off. But if we can get some liberty people starting to talk about, let's just do this one thing. Let's get the hippies from the 70s. Remember what they're talking about. Because, I mean, we've done a lot of stuff. Libertarians are, in fact, I believe, descended from the hippie movement, right? Cannabis, right? Marriage equality. There's an argument. Anti-war. Yeah, exactly. So all of those things, you know, and all those things that we have sort of politically led on. Let's get this last one. Let's get rid of the draft. Didn't yeah. well. It's not that I don't agree with you. I'm against the draft from a principled standpoint. But there hasn't been a peace movement since the draft was destroyed. That basically, it's the threat of being forced to fight in a war that you don't agree with. Right. That um, you know, Americans hate the most. And that's because the state is slippery. Okay, they recognize when they might actually lose something. And so they managed to, you know, do a little smoke and mirrors and say, okay, right. let's It's gone. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to talk about it anywhere. But it's still fundamentally there. You know, it's oh, like, yes. one of, like one of the things yeah. we talk about, you know, all of us, I, I'm just, we're going to assume safely we're all on the same side in terms of cannabis. Yep. The fact that cannabis is still legal at the federal level, but they're not pressing it, they're just not pressing it now. I right. firmly believe that there's a point in time when they are going to come back. And so that's why it's important that we push now and we get all these states yeah, moving forward, stuff like that. Because, you know, I'm one of those guys who says states don't have rights. States have powers. People have rights. The states have the power to legalize cannabis. And a lot of states are doing it. Yep. It's it's going to happen. And it's uh, it's getting better and bigger over time. Dan, I know you got to be somewhere. We could keep this going, I'm sure. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate on. it. Yeah. Free I'd talk come on again some other point in time in the future. And we thank are you, Ian, here. Thank, thank you, Dan Fishman from the Libertarian Party at LP.org. we got more coming up here. This is Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest 2019 in Vegas. Beautiful little puppy. I mean, we walk around the block, and neighbors always say her hair is so beautiful, healthy and shiny and glossy. D i n o v i t e dot com. Fatty acids, omega threes, and omega sixes are great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. I would really recommend people starting their puppies on Dynavite before they get into what I would call the misery index. Bad skin, bad ears, bad breath. Because if they're getting all their vitamins, micronutrients, microbials from the beginning, then you're not going to run into the problems associated with the allergies. Grass, pollen, dust, dirt, fleas, ticks, you name it. And the itching and shedding down the road. Our vitamins and enzymes replace the nutrients cooked out of most commercial dog foods. Dynavite for life. This is Ed Lukasevic. And Cindy Lukasevic. Inviting you and your pets to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. This is Free Talk Live, kicking off hour number three of day number one at Freedom Fest. We are at the Paris Hotel uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, haven't actually had a chance to really get out yet today, Mark, but expected to hit 140. Six degrees. Uh, yeah, uh, I saw 110 outside. So, whew, boy, you can something else. <laughs> You'd heat up your lunch right there on the sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. So uh, cooler than Phoenix. <laughs> that is the voice of Nicholas Sarwark. Nicholas, welcome to uh, Free Talk Live. Thanks for having me on. Actually, I think Mark just had you on uh, his after show. Was it Edgington Post? No, recently? I think he was on the regular uh, Free Talk Live. Oh, right on. Oh, yeah, it was, it was on live next- a week or so ago, maybe two weeks. 
not too long ago. It yeah. must have been one of the nights I wasn't on then. That's so. right. I always slide those in on Wednesdays. So he sneaks me in when you're not there. Well, it's uh, it's nice to finally have you on. I actually wrote an article about you uh, this week over at freekeen.com because the news broke that uh, you're deciding to move to New Hampshire. That's true. Actually, uh, I decided to move to New Hampshire apparently about 17 years ago. And wow. uh, I'm making good on it now. You're the, by the way, the chairman of the Libertarian Party? I'm the chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. So, yeah, the chairman of the Libertarian Party. And we just had uh, the executive director on. What's the difference between a chair? Because they both sound very important. So, yes. you know, what's the difference? They're, sounding. they're both chairman. very important sounding. Uh, executive director is more important. Executive director is a full-time paid job. I see. Located out of the national office to do all of the operations of a national political party. So, so he's running the ship. He's basically. running the ship. Okay. Um, chair is in some ways a more, I guess, powerful position because I hire the executive director mm-hmm. and I'm the spokesperson for the party and all of that. So, but at the same time, it's not a full-time job. It's not a compensated position. Oh, really? And so... That's the real difference. And you get to run the convention, don't you, as the chairman? I do get to right? run the convention. It's uh, in so much one of the tougher parts guys of the in job. underpants from dancing on stage. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our uh, crosses to bear, as it were. A sad look just passed across your eyes. <laughs> You're referring to a couple of years back at the convention, a gentleman got up and did a striptease. On yes, one of my competitors for the job uh, when yeah. I was being reelected. Uh, did he win? Did he lose? He by didn't much? win. Yeah, he didn't win. Um, you know, I I must say I saw that particular convention. This is the one in 2016, and it was over C-SPAN, and I was able to get C-SPAN in, and I'm here. I am watching the Libertarian Party convention on real TV, and for me, it was so meaningful to be able to see that uh, you know that the whole thing take place. I didn't find um, Mr. Weeks's uh, little little uh, ballet to. Be be any particular problem. I know that there are those that may have. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing you like if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, let's let's fast forward because, you know, we, we talked with uh, Dan Fishman about the Libertarian Party and what's going on with it. And there's always some cool stuff that's uh, that's happening there. And of course, we support liberty a lot. And we've worked with the Libertarian Party on a number of occasions in the past. Um, but you personally, um, you've been involved with uh, Libertarian action and activism. You live in Arizona currently currently yeah we we're still in phoenix wait which uh we haven't seen ernie hancock yet but i know he's going to be showing up here at some point the phoenix isn't exactly a you know it's it's not nothing when it comes to the libertarian movement right like there's a few libertarians out there yeah doing stuff. arizona is has traditionally been one of the stronger states for the libertarian party going way back uh you know decades and decades it it waxes and wanes and um one of the things you find in states where the libertarian party gets traction and there's there's libertarianism in in the the blood as it were is those are the states that the republican party usually tries to cheat a little harder Mm. to suppress the libertarian party because that's a threat to them sure you know if if what you've been selling people is store brand liberty and they have the opportunity to buy the real thing thing. it turns out that they don't really want to stick with the store brand and you're calling the Republican store brand. Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to be as charitable as I can. <laughs> well, for me, what I say is is that uh, the Republicans and liber- libertarian, excuse me, the pub- Republicans and Democrats have different uh, lies that they tell their constituents, and the lies that the Republicans tell um, their constituency 
are, in many cases, liberty-based. They used to be. Well, you know, they they still talk about small government. They still talk about, um, you know, fiscal responsibility. They talk about land of the free, home of the brave, all these things. And, you know, when they get in power, we can see Donald Trump has had every opportunity to cut the national debt. This is the fiscal hawk that was hired to do these things, to drain the swamp. And it's not happening. Well, those tax cuts are going to pay for themselves. Fine. Let's I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they are someday. Eventually, maybe. No, it's um the always judge politicians on what they do, not what they say. Sure. Because being able to say nice things is the price of admission for the game that we're in. Yep. yep. So watch watch actions, not words. So Arizona. Um, are you lifetime Arizona? Were you born there? I was or? born there. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a native. Um, we moved back to Arizona. I had been away in 2014 mm-hmm. and uh, been there for good five years now uh ran for mayor of phoenix in the 2018 election um didn't win but got over forty thousand votes over 10 percent, and wow. forced a runoff between two former uh democratic council members uh they couldn't actually no one could get a majority uh so i i did my part wow that's great so um 17 years ago, you came across the Free State Project, the idea of migrating libertarians to one geographic area so we can actually be more effective. Hopefully people can get more than 10% and uh, do more better. Yeah. Um, I was chairman, of, I believe, of the Libertarian Party of Maryland at the time, and uh, somebody came down from the Free State Project. I don't know if it was uh, Dr. Sorens or if it was somebody else who was involved. That was back when Keith Murphy was still down in Baltimore. And I thought, you know, I had just gotten out of college a few years back. I had a pretty good career. I was chair of a state party. I said, you know what? I'll sign up for this. And so I, on June 30th, 2002, I became signer 461 for the Free State Project. Wow. And that um, is an early signer. And they've, they've gotten a couple more signers since then. Yep. <laughs> uh, I got to be part of picking the state. Uh, I think did I you did vote, vote for? for New Hampshire. Okay, okay. I did, uh, although I've had doubts lately. Uh, Wyoming, there's some really amazing stuff happening in Wyoming. They've done some good uh, cryptocurrency stuff out there, uh, from yeah, what I understand. They, there's a natural libertarianism in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was talking to Joe Scarborough the other day, and he was asking, you know, where are libertarians, where do you guys do better? And I said, in the Mountain West, the baseline amount of libertarian vote totals is just higher because there's still that that vibe out there of just wanting to be free. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's also true in, in New Hampshire. Um, it is. New Hampshire is that pocket in New England. Right. Having known uh, and met many New Hampshire natives over the years, I mean, it's just it's always a pleasant surprise, you know, when you're talking, when you you know get out of the libertarian community and you actually right. meet people that are actually natives from New Hampshire. They just get it at a level that they don't get in Florida. They right. don't get in California. And it's just a real native kind of leave me alone mentality. And they're willing to leave other people alone too and they they yeah. really understand it they may not understand on all the issues all the the little ins and outs but it just seems like the way they're raised something about a granite stater yeah i um i, I think that it's difficult to quantify the the new hampshire vote um liberty vote because they the libertarian party in new hampshire isn't particularly well entrenched yeah not yet all right so you you're planning on continuing to work with the uh, the libertarian party once you make the move up 
Yes. I can't imagine that the answer to that would possibly be no. <laughs> now, you are talking to the man who chairs the uh, Republican Party for the city of Keene, and I have been a delegate to the state convention for the Republican Party in New Hampshire. We all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's there's been different approaches up here that have actually worked for libertarians, and one of them has been uh, infiltrating the other parties, because one of my frustrations with the, the Libertarian Party over the years has been this sort of, at least my perception, that it had been infiltrated by people who were less than libertarian, who right. tried to like influence it and take it over. And so, you know, I pushed against this for a long time in, in New Hampshire, and I had to admit after a while, like, all right, well, the Free Staters have had a success at like actually getting elected as Republicans and Democrats. Now, that's not to say the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire isn't doing good work or they're not valuable. I'm a life member of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, so I'm, I'm still involved there. Uh, but, you know, success is success. And they've gotten we've gotten real like anarcho-capitalist kind of voluntarist libertarians elected as uh, as the main two political parties. I'll let you comment on, on that here in a moment. But can you stick with us for another segment? Nicholas Sarwark is here, the chairman of the National Libertarian Party, as we continue from Freedom Fest 2019. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest 2019 at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas on just day number one of what is going to be a loaded event. We were just looking at the schedule. I don't know if there's like six tracks. It's over, almost overwhelming how much stuff they've got going on here. Uh, we're in a just a gigantic... We haven't really had a chance to talk. We've been so busy talking with our, our guests already. We haven't really even set the scene for what this event is. Uh, of course, they haven't even really started the, the thing yet. I think there's maybe somebody going on stage here in, in just a few moments. Yeah, I think they're going to open things up here very shortly. Uh, but we're in a, a massive vendor area. I mean, th- this this vendor area is as large as the stage area is, or at yeah. least one of the, I presume that is the main stage that we're sitting next to here. Many, many dozens of vendor booths. Many dozens. Yeah. Uh, lots of vendors here. There's Some of them are still getting set up. Uh, Libertarian Party, of course, has a, a booth here as well. And Nicholas Sarwark is with us from the Libertarian Party. He is the chairman of that party. But by the way, I do want to let you know about uh, AnyPay and, and help me take Bitcoin.com. Now, we are actually talking with Dan Fishman. He was telling us the Libertarian Party is taking cryptocurrencies. We've been taking crypto. I believe we're the first political party to take crypto donations, which (laughs) would make a lot of sense. Yep. Not surprised about that. And a great way to do it if you are ready to accept cryptocurrency at your business, especially if you've got a physical location, if you, uh, you know, got a brick and mortar business and you want to accept cryptocurrency, help me take Bitcoin.com is where you can go to accomplish that in moments. I mean, we're talking about three or four steps. You download a wallet if you don't already have it. You put your wallet info into uh, the AnyPay app, and then, you know, if you've got a tablet at the register, you're good to go. I mean, it is so easy to accept Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, Zcash, and several other cryptocurrencies. Just go to HelpMeTakeBitcoin.com. They've got an app available for iOS and Android devices. Or if you want to just jump in without any of the uh, the hand-holding, just go and download the AnyPay app and and uh, put that on your your smart device, and it'll walk you through it. It's super easy. Help me take Bitcoin. Dot com. So we were just talking about your decision and your family's decision to uh, to make the move uh, to New Hampshire as part of the, the Free State Project, this uh, large migration of libertarians. You signed up 17 years ago, you were, you were telling us, when you were fresh out of college. And uh, and here we are now. What was the you know the catalyst for you? Uh, was it Porkfest, the Porcupine Freedom Festival? 
I think that was the catalyst for me. Uh, I had been to New Hampshire once before when Representative uh, Finney had switched parties. Uh, we, I came in for just a press conference. That's when we met for the first time, actually. And um, it was a nice place, but it you know didn't strike me as much different from any other New England state. Uh, when I get went to Pork Fest, just the experience of being inside an intentional community. Uh, where everybody lets everybody else do what they want as long as they don't hurt other people and they don't take their stuff, where we we live out the vision of what we want to accomplish in the political world, that seemed like a really nice thing to me. And having uh, you know the opportunity come up where I'm able to relocate, uh, which I wasn't able to do before, uh, talking it over with my wife, it's a really great place to raise your kids. We have four kids. Um, it comes up on number one on those those lists, you know, best places to raise your kids. And I suspect that has a lot to do with its government schools, though. Just a guess. Uh, uh, no, no, actually, the government schools aren't, that's, you know, they're... I, I they're, think that's how they do those, those that lists. That may be though. one factor, but no, it's that's crime rate. It, it's crime rate. It's, um, crime rate's very low. A lot of outdoors activities. There's, yeah. you know, it's just There's good a quality of, of life kind of place. And I realize that, you know, this is a good place to base whatever that next step is. I'm close to New York or D.C. for media appearances. I'm a lot closer than I am in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I see I see a lot of synergy there, and I'm excited to come be a Granite Stater. And you convinced uh, your wife and family without them coming with you, because I think you told me at the Porcupine Freedom Festival that you were there alone. I was. I was, I was invited to come as a speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was relatively last minute, so we didn't put logistics together to try and bring the family. And, you know, to be really honest... I'd never been to a pork fest, right. so I didn't know whether or not I wanted to bring my kids. Ah, um, okay. You know, I like to scope some of these things out and sure. see whether they would be fun things for the family. Uh, they all want to go to pork fest next yeah, year. It's a great event for any, any family or anybody at all. And a shorter trip. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, are you you know are you going to tour around the state with the family yeah. and kind of look around? How are you going to figure out this housing situation? Yeah. So the plan is. Uh, we were actually just packing up the house yesterday and having pictures mm. taken of our house in Phoenix. We're going to move across country uh, with roughly half of our stuff in a truck, send the other stuff to be put in storage with, you know, pods. One of those pods. Yeah, those yeah. things are great. They, they <laughs> help out a lot. And then we're probably going to do something short term in the Manchester area for at least a few months while mm-hmm. we tour the state. See where we actually want to live. Buy some warm clothes. <laughs> exactly. I, I have I have things that I want for what I'm doing professionally and politically. My wife has things that she wants for mm-hmm. her professional career. Our kids have things that they want. Schooling's a big thing for us. Um, we're leaving a really great uh, public Montessori school that we had to win a lottery to get into in Phoenix. Public Montessori. Public Montessori. It's an amazing thing. The parent community is really engaged. It's actually one of the saddest parts about leaving Phoenix is that school community is very, very good and positive. And so one of the things we're looking at is can we find a schooling environment for them that's going to be as positive in New Hampshire? And should we look at options that we hadn't considered in the past? Yeah, I expect so. I mean, I don't have kids, but I know that there are a lot of people in the liberty community who obviously care about educational freedom, and they care about not just, you know, homeschooling and unschooling, but other alternatives for people to, right. you know, to create and send their kids to. So I think if you get connected with the, the right crowd, they'll certainly point you in a few different directions on that. Um, I, I think it's exciting. It's big news. And as I said in the blog post at uh, freekeen.com, you know, this is something that uh, a lot of our earlier movers wanted to see happen was 
people with some relative uh, visibility within the libertarian movement making the decision to say, wow, there really is something going on here. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky concept as so many libertarians, you know, they've got great ideas, but do they actually do something? Here it's happening. Well, and, and if I can make it practical to be chair of a national political party and be based out of New Hampshire then that tells other people who may have the kind of connections where you need to be in an L.A. or you need to be in a New York because of what you do, mm-hmm. that you can still be based in a state that's better for your family and for your mental and you know emotional health and still do the work you have to do in some of these larger urban areas. Yeah, I think the uh, the term you used earlier, intentional community, is is so important. And it's something that, like you said, and I think you referenced this, you didn't really understand it until you were in it. You know, it's something you can't really experience from the outside. Uh, yeah. the, the feeling of what it's like to actually have more libertarians around you than you could get to know. The, the closest thing for me, um, and probably for anybody who is a libertarian, is a libertarian national convention. When you Which have, is totally different, right? When like, you have thousands <laughs> of libertarians all together for common cause and common purpose... And you're not the political minority. Yeah. yeah, you're you're the majority. You're soaking in it. But it's even a magic th- feeling. Even there, it's still you know you're arguing over bylaws and there's the you know the stuff that's going on. And there's some totally parts of it vibe. that aren't as fun. Yeah, but there there's an energizing for sure nature to the recharge feel, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to feel like you're part of something bigger. Have you been to a national convention, Ian? I've been to libertarian conventions, just not the national ones. State ones? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. Well, he said that the it was the only thing that he could compare it to was the national convention. So I would presume that it's well, bigger and feels Because different. of the size of Porkfest yeah. is, is order of magnitude, it's roughly a similar size to a national convention. So it's that many libertarians in one place. Do you want to stay? Okay. I got to go. All right. Nicholas, we're going to have you back on. You're going to be around a lot more often, I suspect. Uh, Nicholas Sarwark from the Libertarian Party. He's making the move ASAP to New Hampshire. And uh, Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Super Mega Fish Oil. Get the third bottle free. Packed with Omega-3, DHA, and EPA fatty acids. Super Mega is great for your dog's immune system, healthy skin, and soft, shiny fur. Dogs love it. Try Super Omega Fish Oil. Buy two. Get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. This is Free Talk Live. We are here at the uh, Freedom Fest 2019 at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas for day number one of uh, what is going to be a lengthy event. This thing's going all the way through Saturday. Right, the 17th through the 20th. Right, and uh, it's still not too late if you want to come out here and join us. If you're out uh, in the Vegas area, come on down to the Paris, and I don't know what the tickets cost to get you in for a day, because uh, this is a big, big event at a big hotel. But I'll bet you FTL 50 still helps. I don't know about that. That's a good question. Uh, can you get that on the day of? That's a good question, Mark. We should probably ask an organizer before we say that. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. That's right. <laughs> if, if you're walking in last minute, you can't really expect a discount. Uh, I, I 
don't think. But uh, regardless, you can go to freedomfest.com and you can check out the schedule and see what some of the, uh, some of the stuff is that's coming up because we've we've been so busy talking to people here, we haven't even really had a chance to uh, to do anything else. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of float around a little bit later on today and uh, and check out the rest of the event because this is a big one with a bunch of different tracks and a lot of stuff going on here and a lot of people already here. Uh, Mark, you found a, a guest for us to talk to. Uh, his name is Wyatt uh, Ruiz from Turning Point USA. Now, i got to say, Wyatt, I'm new to uh, Turning Point. I've, I literally have just heard about it now. Our listeners also may be in the same category, so give us the elevator pitch. What is Turning Point yeah, USA? Let me, let me clue you in. So we are, let me start off by saying uh, we're on over 1,400 campuses across the nation. Okay. Probably more than that now. Uh, so what we do is we actually do a lot. We have uh, we have several different parts of Turning Point USA. I'm part of the field program. The what program? The field program. Field, field program. Okay. Yeah. And so what we do is we go to campuses. We uh, encourage students. We give them you know leadership advice. We help them open up chapters. We help them host events. What we want to do at the end of the day is help people think for themselves and really just have fun and enjoy doing so. There's not a whole lot of that on college campuses. No, there's not. Uh, absolutely not. It's unfortunate because and so I'm from Southern California. Mm-hmm. I work in Southern California, and so. We see that when you when you tend to go against the grain when it comes to the common politics that's on campus, both the students and professors, uh, you tend to run into a lot of backlash. I imagine, so, yeah, yeah. So I mean, just randomly tabling there, people will cuss at you, call you Nazi. That's that's wow. not a joke that actually happens. Um, like why you know f you this stuff yada yada. Um, so here at Turning Point, they're just trying to start a conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's just a great. They're, they're about diversity of opinions. Yeah, they're. <laughs> As long as your opinion agrees specifically with everything that they agree. Right. But. Yeah, it, that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, like we've had students spit at us. It's, it, yeah, we have a lot of that go on. Um, I mean, it's what it is. It's, it's all part of the job. So you never know what one day is going to bring you. Right. So it's got to be kind of fun. And you guys have bombastic slogans that are, you know, really great. The kinds that uh, hit hard. What are some of them? Uh, some of the signs I saw. So taxation the sept is a big one. That's a good um, one. Our, our, our most popular one is big government sucks. You know, I've gotten some flack for students on campus or even professors saying that, that you know, it's very uh, it's propaganda. It's like, well, OK, first off, and what are you doing? Propaganda is everywhere in <laughs> right. politics. So there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with propaganda. It's everywhere in school. Yeah, too. exactly. Oh, exactly. It's in the well, text. Propaganda is a political message with which you disagree. And that is- yeah, yeah. The, the reason why they say propaganda is because it has a negative. Uh, they try to right. mean derogatory way. Um, having said that, the reason why we simplify it is because it opens a conversation. So at Turning Point USA, we you know we want to we want to uh, influence culture as much as we can in a positive light in a pro American light. You know we love the Constitution, we love living in government, um, we love uh, the founding principles that our uh, our founding fathers built this nation upon, and we want to preserve those and educate people on them. And at the end of the day, we don't want to try to indoctrinate students just as leftists are the or um, uh, the liberal media is. We want to persuade people to think for themselves well yeah so i mean you you're basically you're trying to counter the doc exactly. indoctrination exactly so if you want to agree with us then agree with us but the way i see it is i do my job right if i get someone to think for themselves for sure now what now, got you involved in uh, in this in the first place so i actually um started with volunteering at prager university um, what's that prager university so dennis prager his show oh yeah he has oh, the whole, okay. all those little five minute videos prager okay. U. yeah i started volunteering there and um you know, just got um, uh, got an opportunity to apply for this job here for Turning Point USA, and you know, grace to God, I got it. So it's a lot of fun. It's great. They um, 
they're all motivated young young kids who want to go and change the country for the better. So many of the the narrative that's now coming out of the mainstream media is is that college students have gone so far left that they're farther left than the college professors, and now the professors don't even know what to do. So, so here's what it is. So think of it this way. It's like a chain reaction, right? So mm-hmm. you have the people, kind of like the Solinskys and those people, and even before then, that they know what they're doing. They know they're implementing a system. They, you know, a lot, you have a lot of Europeans in the early 1900s that came here with you know, uh, values that reflected those of Marx. Um, yep. An angle. And so they came here. And what happened is they, they knew that and started to implement those politics into our system. Right. Which is, you know, it's like drinking bleach for our system. It just doesn't work. It's going to make our system die at some point. And so what happens was, is those people know what they're doing. And you have the people on the, on the onset knowing what they're doing. But at some point it comes down to people are being fed this crap, you know, when it comes to media, when it comes to culture, when it comes to education and all that stuff to the point where they actually believe it to be true. And those are the people that will that'll even be martyrs for it. You know, that's when it starts turning mm. dangerous, metaphorically and non-metaphorically, unfortunately. Yeah, it can actually be physically dangerous. Yeah, things. as we've seen. Right. Um, and so that's why when we see these students now, uh, in comparison with the professors, you know, it, it's, it, it's all it is is just a result of them getting this, uh, this leftist view of American history or even world history shoved down their throats. And now when they're – now that it's – it, it, you know, it, it's so ingrained into who they are or into sure. their belief system and the foundations of what they what they believe of the world and their paradigm um, that is very emotional to them. Absolutely. And it's hard right. to break somebody out of that because they come across, you know, even if you are making really great points and you've got all the evidence behind you, you come up against that cognitive dissonance where the emotion pushes back and says, I don't even want to listen. I don't want to look at this. And they've been they've been indoctrinated in government schools, in the colleges, on television, you know, in the. Un- here's, here's what people are understanding. People don't understand this and I don't know how they don't understand this. You have liberal teachers unions. You have liberal teachers who are working with the uh, the liberal publishers to help put in a liberal agenda in the books. And that's what it is. It's helping to revise American history. People don't understand that it's a vicious cycle like that. Yeah, you have your conservative teachers. I'm sure you have your – you have obviously your conservative publishers. But the ones that are mainstream that are really um, – uh, that are uh, the biggest in the industry, I should say, are the ones that – Tend to dis- tend to not like the way that America was founded, not like the values that it was founded upon, and want to try to revise that so that now we have students who don't know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to American history and when it comes to why we were founded, what we do, why we have the values that we have, and why they're the greatest in the world. In my belief, in many cases, we um, when you hear that emotional reaction, it isn't just an indication that a person is unwilling to have a logical conversation and have their opinion changed. It's an indication that they are unable to have a logical conversation and even have their opinion. Well, here, changed. here's the thing, <laughs> and I know this has been said before. I don't remember by who. The right thinks that the left is wrong. The left thinks that the right is evil. Now, I think that a lot of leftist values are immoral, and I think some are evil, for example. I think the results are immoral. Yeah, 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 yeah the results are immoral. I think some things such as, you know, partial birth abortion, I think that's just blatantly evil. Yeah, they're okay. um, Now, turning point, that's me saying as an individual, turning yep, point, sure. we are a, uh, we don't talk about the social issues very much. Don't take a stand. That's just me, yeah, exactly, yeah. that's me as an individual. Um, having said that, um, they think that just, they think that basically we are, our, our values are evil, our beliefs are evil. So therefore, us as individuals are evil, and that's not what it is. And at the end of the day, when it comes to the middle, when the middle grounds, or I would even say most people on the right too, 
we we want to change the country for the better. We want the best for its people. We just have vastly different views on how to get there. One of us is saying, government, get get out of people's lives and let them figure out their own situation, and let them figure out their own you know their own morality, and come come to it and be uh, you know personally responsible. And the government saying, no, let us be responsible for you, which obviously never works. Well, from a libertarian perspective, and that's where we tend to come from here on on Free Talk Live. The question is, uh, you know, should the government exist at all? Really, I mean, should there be a co- co- coercive agency out there forcing its way into people's lives? And we say absolutely not. That that's not okay. That it doesn't matter whatever it is you want to accomplish, whether it's going to war or, you know, stopping people from a certain behavior or whatever, that you should be doing it on a uh, consensual basis rather than threatening people. Now, why do you want to stick around to talk further about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, I actually have a comment on All that. All right, more coming up with White Reese. He's from uh, Turning Point USA. It's tpusa.com is their website. We got more coming up here. This is Free Talk Live from Freedom Fest. This is Free Talk Live. We're at Freedom Fest, day number one at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, it's Ian and Mark here in our remote studio. And by the way, I do want to say thank you to JP, who is a Free Talk Live amplifier. JP's contributing uh, to Free Talk Live on a monthly basis to help us get on more radio stations. we got over 200 stations now, but we can do better than that. It just takes time. It takes money. It takes effort. And that's what the AMP program does. AMP stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. You can join that with... With credit card, you can do PayPal, you can do Bitcoin BTC over at ampamp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Be like JP, go to amp.freetalklive.com. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, also appreciate all the, the wonderful folks we've been talking to here today at Freedom Fest. Wyatt Ruiz is here from Turning Point USA, tpusa.com. It's a college based organization, or it sounds like at least. I'm, I'm pretty new to it. You said there's a bunch of these things across the country. Yeah, we have chapters everywhere. And exactly. so we were just kind of talking, you know, more philosophically. Um, you were mentioning that you have a real appreciation for some of the some of the founding principles, the uh, the freedoms that were supposed well, we, to be. So we believe that, uh, and I know Charlie Kirk has echoed this too, um, and I do that the Constitution is the greatest document ever created by man. Um, that. America is the greatest country to ever be created by man as well. Do you think the Constitution is the greatest document or the Declaration of Independence? Because that one's pretty darn good. The Declaration of Independence is really good. Um, if people actually know the original edit of it, too, it should have actually had more to it. Really? For example, yeah, Thomas Jefferson actually wanted to implement um, a clause, I should say. I believe it was it would have been 14. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. That would have basically scorned uh, King George III for pushing... Um, uh, the slave trade onto the American colonies, hmm. and now kind of infecting it with it. But that was something that was taken out for the Southern states. Kind of a little, kind of a little cool fact of history. A lot of people don't know. So you said you had some comments because I was talking about you know the idea uh, that it's not okay to shove our viewpoints, whatever they might be, down somebody else's throat. Yeah. yeah so there's this, uh, this is growing. Um faction of that of the libertarian party that is kind of more anarcho-capitalist, mm-hmm. which I I disagree with. I I understand where they're coming from. I understand some of their points, or a lot of their points, but I disagree with it inherently because I, I tend to agree with what Publius says, which is, um, you know, if men were angels, there would be no need for a government. But at the same time, men are angels. That's why we need to have a very limited one. Um, and our founding fathers were smart enough to know that men were going to use the government in order to create power, in order to gain power, which is why we need a system of checks and balances and all that stuff, which 
is why I kind of get annoyed when people say that nothing ever happens to the government, that it's so slow and this and that, and they're always looking for bipartisanship. I don't necessarily want that because if everything's bipartisan, then we don't really have all these different ideologies. Oh, I certainly don't want bipartisanship. Yeah. That's a, to me is a bunch of liars. And it depends on what it is. Agreeing the the how they should rob you, and that's a very bad thing. The problem that I have is mm-hmm. is the notion that we need liars and thieves mm-hmm. to rule us, and. It's not to say that I don't believe in government. I'm not a I'm not a, an anarcho capitalist. I think that's that's like calling oneself uh, a, you know a pedo rapist. I think it's a combining some yeah, of the I'm worst. Yeah, I'm not trying to be a, no, I'm just into an ideologue. Uh, all I'm saying, I'm I'm a voluntarist. I believe in voluntary interaction. Okay, and exactly. Um, for me, you know, I mean, I get that we need governance. I, I'm, I'm clear on that. It's just that. Is a monopoly the best way to go about it? Well, absolutely not. And what people don't understand is it comes from a basic misunderstanding of the Constitution itself, especially the Commerce Clause. We want to talk about monopolies. Yep. Um, for example, the U.S. government doesn't have the power. To, uh, the U.S. federal government does not have the not have something that's called the patent power. Now, mm-hmm. we're not talking about patents as an intellectual property necessarily. That's that's a definition that came towards it later. We're talking about the old English law patent as in basically a writ. Uh, um, a writ of uh, of business, like your your right to own a business mm-hmm. given to by the crown, which would be an English, uh, mm-hmm. you know, old English law. But for America, would be like monopolies, for example. So that's something that the U.S. government actually didn't have the power to do so. But throughout time, since state government to do, and there were checks and balances there. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into it. But since state governments do, as the federal government always does, it assumed that since the states have this power, so should the federal government in order to, quote-unquote, protect the people, which is always what they say, or protect the consumer. These these sort of, you know, one-liners, protect the consumer, you know, to protect the people, stuff like that, that's said by those that want to increase the federal power, that at the end of the day, they're actually just digging the knife in a little more, and well, people don't understand that. Oh, sure. I, 100%. I think that any increase in, a fed, in the, the federal power is, is you know, a difficulty for the people that are increasing the power, because they don't realize that in short order, some other group is going to take power that's not them, and yep. they've now created that power for that group, and it's, it's a real problem. That's we'll talk I get, of factions, exactly. I get, for, I get federalism. It's just that... Um, I kind of agree with Lysander Spooner when he says that the Constitution has either authorized all of these things that we're talking about now, or it's been powerless to prevent it. One of those two things seems to have to have been true. Well, and- as we see here, uh, I'll give you an example. The last Democratic debates, I don't even remember hearing the Constitution once. Oh, yeah, they're not going to talk about it. Yeah, of course. They, they're not going to talk about the Constitution. They'll talk about equality. They'll talk about giving you know free health care to sure. uh, illegal aliens. Sure. It's ridiculous. Um, and you're not hearing that on this side of that, you know, that spectrum of, of politics, and you're starting to hear it less from the right as well, which is kind of scary because they're they're moving towards you know a bit more centrist republicanism, which doesn't make really any sense, but it's right. what it is. Um, and it's scary because the at the end of the day, if man wants to accomplish something, you know. The left is just seeing it as a document. They don't care. They don't. They, they now that they have deconstructed it to be just some sort of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of words put together by racists that held slaves and that were sexist and left and right and yada yada. Didn't yada. George Bush call it just a GD piece of paper? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, he did. Now, if they want to take down the document, now they now if they try to uh, delegitimize it for today, now you can do whatever you want with it. That's the point. They're, sure. The Constitution is supposed to be yeah the safeguard against all of this. Right. It's the highest law in the land. Yeah, but I and think, none of them mm-hmm. pay any attention to it. Now, now I will say the Constitution. If we didn't have the Constitution, we'd be in a lot worse spot. 
I think um, that's true. I think that I think that uh, you know you look at a, a country like New Zealand yeah. where they don't have any kind of constitution. They can just basically do absolutely anything. At least here, they do still have to pay some level of lip service to mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. It you know the free speech thing may be one of the reasons why we're able to be on the air and you well, know and do this. Wait a second, though. Um, the United States, the First Amendment guarantees the right to free press. The United States comes in in the forties for freest press in the world. That's so true. somehow that's true. Um, that document failed to protect, I mean, a whole bunch of other countries that aren't the United States. I'd have to see, uh, I've I've never even heard that number to be honest with you. You know, the Heritage Foundation rates the United States not in the top ten freest countries in the world, um, economically free. Yeah, no, not economically free. But the Constitution doesn't actually protect economic freedom. The most economically free is like Hong Kong. uh, That's right, yeah. Yeah. Singapore. Exactly, Hong Kong, Singapore. Canada, which is interesting because the United States fought a war against England in order to put the Constitution in place. However, Canada is rated higher by even conservative organizations as a freer place, so maybe the Revolutionary War wasn't about freedom. I don't know. I mean, maybe the military isn't there to protect my freedom. Um, I'll say this. I think a lot of people will say that you know, that we have our rights because we have gotten into certain conflicts that ha- don't have to do with the founding or the Civil, or the civil War, stuff like that. Okay. I, I disagree with that notion. Having said that, I do believe in the philosophy of bringing the fight to them, but it doesn't also mean that you have a just a non never ending war machine. Um, so I think boy, that's happen. you just opened up a big can of worms in the last uh, <laughs> last two minutes. It's we, a time to open it though. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, yeah I gotta give a cliffhanger. Come on. Well, uh, we, we feel very strongly, and I obviously can't speak for Mark, but uh, you know we're we're pretty anti war in general. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I believe in uh, defense. You know, mm-hmm. if 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 somebody's attacking you, you should absolutely have the right to defend yourself, defend your neighbors, defend your you know friends, defend a stranger, or whatever. Um, we're from New Hampshire, where we actually have you know relative gun freedom in comparison and of course as a result of that we've got a relatively peaceful uh, society there uh, there in new hampshire now let's change uh, gears real fast here okay. and go, go back to uh the college campuses because turning point usa is is right. there how many uh, different uh, instances of this organization are there across the u.s did you say uh, around 1400 That's i mean a lot I, yeah yeah and then also we are um you know, affiliated with a lot of other groups, too. Right, I was going to think that it had to have been, right? Mm-hmm. The same we people have a that had Students for Liberty are probably the same people that are in Turning Point. Uh, yeah, we have a lot guess. of crossover. And, yeah. it, it, you know, for me, I say, hey, if you want to be part of both, that's great. It, I look at it as a free market. If you, if, if Turning Point is what you like the most, if you like the way that we message it the most, mm-hmm. we were You guys are excellent in messaging. I think that the messaging yeah. is your strongest suit. Well, You've got to get people's attention. Our yeah. goal, exactly. Our goal is to reach that middle, that, that apathetic student. That, Which is like almost all of them, right? Exactly. Like 99% well, of them? the thing about the apathetic student is that this is a student that, you know, they're, they don't necessarily care about politics all that much. They have their opinions. Um, having said that, they've still gone through the same system of all these kids that have turned totally to the left. Mm-hmm. And so they still hold these beliefs, you know, these certain beliefs that, you know, maybe the Constitution is outdated or, you know, yeah, maybe our founding fathers weren't weren't the best men to create our, our, our country, you know, this and that, whatever else, to now delegitimize de- de- our whole system so that now we can bring this new age of peace and love and, you know, to the 
definition of leftists? I think the more uh, that we can get young people involved in caring about what's going on around them, the better. The more that they can be messaged with, uh, you know, more pro-freedom messaging, smaller government, like you guys are talking about there. I think that all sounds great, and I'm, I'm glad that you're out there doing it, Wyatt. Thanks for coming on Free Talk Live with us. Yeah, thank you very much. I really, I really appreciate it. He's Wyatt Ruiz from uh, Turning Point USA, tpusa.com. I presume uh, college students can go there and learn more and get involved, and we will be back tomorrow with more Free Talk Live from Freedom Fest here in Vegas. Freedom, uh, freetalklive.com. Hey, everyone. This is Charlie Shrem. You've seen me on the Netflix documentary Banking on Bitcoin and the new best-selling book Bitcoin Billionaires. I want to invite you to join me on my new show, Untold Stories, for a deep dive into crypto history with the people who made that history. Together, we'll explore the personalities and events that gave rise to Bitcoin and the crypto revolution, the innovation, the collaboration, the battles, and the busts. You'll have a front row seat to the early days of crypto up to today, and you'll hear from the folks who lived through it and survived to drive this movement mainstream. Untold Stories looks back to reveal what inspired some of the greatest minds on Earth to come together to create this technology and change the future for everyone. So join me and my guests, the techies and the traders, the entrepreneurs and the innovators, as we explore our past and understand what that means for the future. Listen now on UntoldStories.com. That's UntoldStories.com.